you're listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast. My name is Tom Chick, and I am joined this week <laughs> by Christian Krasinski, I think it is. Christian Krasinski. Wait, you you just asked me not to make fun of your name, and then you <laughs> made fun of my name. Very good, Dingus. And also Kelly Wand, who has a tagline relating to the movie we saw this week, Super. Kelly Wand, what is the super tagline? Uh, wait, what movie are we doing? <laughs> is that the tagline? That's good. No, wait, because uh, I got... <laughs> wait, okay, yeah, no, I, here it is. All right. The catchphrase for super is too much CG. You're going to have to explain wait. that. Oh, because oh, I, I had one for Transformers, too, because that oh, came out this weekend and we didn't right? see it. Right. But I have ca- the catchphrase for that is not enough CG. <laughs> OK, good. <laughs> Pretty sure I got those both right. Now, I, I want to say Dingus will tell us a little bit more in a minute. But uh, Super, which I saw, it had a very limited theatrical release starting back in April. And it's since trickled out uh, various theaters around the country. It's been available variously on uh, video and demand services. I think it's on a few right now it will however have a dvd release i believe august 9th so about a month from the time that this podcast is posted you will be able to get this on dvd until then uh search high and wide to small art house theaters you might find it and you might find it on video and demand services that said uh i think this is one that i particularly wanted to get around to us seeing sometime soon so rather than see the transformers and I do not regret that one iota. We we are going to talk about this this week. So, uh, uh, Dingus, why don't you tell us the basics about what Super is before we spoil it for folks who haven't seen it? All right. This week we saw Super, a 2011 American action comedy drama movie <laughs> about an everyday fella who decides to be a superhero. Uh, the film was written and directed by James Gunn and stars Rain Wilson. Ellen Page, Liv Tyler, and Kevin Bacon. The film is rated R for strong, bloody violence, Mm. Mm. sexual content, drug use, Mm. and pervasive language, including Mm. 72 F-words and derivatives, and one instance of the word, gooshy. (laughs) Ah, yeah. Money pussy galore. Pushy. Remember when he'd say that? So he couldn't say pussy, so he... That's, you're, you're now making fun of Welshmen. Yeah, I'm a racist. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, Dingus, that's, that was the basics. Now, if you have not seen Super, from here on out, we are in spoiler territory. And Kelly Wand, maybe you could lay out for us uh, in more detail what exactly happens in this movie. I could. I was thinking while Dingus was talking, uh-huh. which happens a lot, um, <laughs> when he said violence, I was thinking that when they rate movies and they say violence is bad, so it's only 13-year-olds can see it, um, does that refer to, like, the sound? Because if, like, or just the picture of it. Like, if you know it's CG blood, but it just makes, like, a musical note noise, then that's not violent. It's melodic. So then it would be rated for melodic. I think violence is often synonymous with gore. Oh... It's just that violence is a more, uh, I don't know, maybe dramatic word? So it has to be blood. You're thinking of thematic content, Kelly Wand. Semen. That's thematic. What? 
Also, um, we should have known better than to indulge him, Dingus. Yeah, I apologize. <laughs> Hitler, Hitler, notwithstanding, I think Michael Bay and Spielberg fired the wrong lead for Transformers. Hitler. <laughs> I mean, Michael Bay and Hitler fired the wrong lead. I don't, okay, I don't, the supsis. Yeah, but actually, before you get to the supsis, I, I have I want to pass around here. We have a listener. Uh, Big shout out to Will, who uh, I've met once. He's a, I did not know he was a fan of the podcast. He listens to the podcast, and he now sent us a pair of these for each of us. I'm handing them out. Dingus, here's yours. Oh. Kelly Wand, here's yours. So these uh, are these are wrapped. You can unwrap them. I suggest you wear them. These are our 2D glasses for this week's <laughs> podcast. We're coming at you in 2D. So go ahead and unwrap them. Put them. On, see how everything looks different when you put on the 2D glasses. Oh yeah. And now we don't have to pay extra when we go to see 2D movies for these right. classes. So right. I, I think this is something that uh, it, it's a package that arrived to the podcast offices from Amazon.com. Uh, big thanks to Will. Uh, so we are now officially taping in 2D with a pair of these glasses for each of us. Kelly, Wait, you, we, you in particular look very fetching in those. I have thanks. To say. Well, they fit perfectly over my other glasses and my 3D glasses, which I'm <laughs> leaving on because I want five but we put them in the same bin when we're done right no these are ours to keep these are uh we do not have to we are not we that's the thing is we now do not have to rent out 2d glasses anymore we now have our own permanent to keep 2d glasses is our dingus's battery operated i don't think these look like they're uh what about his glasses (laughs) 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 all right so kelly want give us a what did you call it? I don't like human beings. Remember when the human centipede doctor said that? <laughs> ah, you had to, I bet you were like determined to get in a human centipede reference this week. Yeah, I said I did a human centipede reference uh, when I saw um, what did I see with my mom, Tom? Human centipede? Yeah, no, wait, it was that or um, bridesmaids. Anyway, so I made one, and then I heard afterwards she goes, he's been doing this for two weeks. Because <laughs> it was two weeks since I'd seen him in Centipede. So it's like my mom had noted. <laughs> it was so, Never mind. So we'll actually note that on the podcast. This is the second week of Kelly Wand making continuous human centipede references. We will track this. Um, so like if I said the words human centipede, it, would, it, it evoked that. Like, oh, God. All right. Anyway, the soupsis. To, mm-hmm. On with this week's movie that no one saw don't um, say that don't say that people have seen this well it's not a you know it's not even out for another few weeks and it was out a few weeks ago it was out in april yeah. it was out in iceland last year yeah but those people won't find this podcast uh, i think we have plenty of reykjavik listeners or big just listen no matter what we're talking about hmm. all right if you say so all right here's the soupsis then uh yeah, well, I mean, this is what I got out of it. This is just my interpretation. You guys may, mileage may vary. <clears throat> so the sad dad from Hesher turns into Hesher by speed putting on the Flash's <laughs> costume, Paul, because the Liv Tyler wife left him for Kevin Bacon because she was a heroin addict, even though he sells cocaine. But she makes up for it by having sex with large black dudes, even though she's passed out. Um, but Dwight watches Davy and Goliath and God puts tentacles in his brain. The fuck was that? 
I think that was Dingus's glasses falling off. Oh, yep. <laughs> they are battery powered, Paul. <laughs> uh, so Dwight gets the Flash costume and renames himself Video Card, and he bones up on how to fight without using weapons or knowing anything by going to a comic book store run by this eight-year-old girl named Ellen Page. <laughs> Oh, wait, that was Ellen Page. Mm. Callback. Uh, so things are going okay at first. He picks up a box behind a dumpster for acting suspicious, and because he's a little puritanical, uh, for it, it was showing too much flap, like five inches, but thick at the base. So he lets it off with a warning, and he puts it in the dumpster, and he sets fire to it. And he also beats a couple people to death for cutting in line at the Transformers movie. But the good times don't last, and things get dark, because he gets shot in the leg paunch by Kevin McCann's goons. So he goes to a rave at Ellen Page's house so she can suck the bullet out. And she's all, yeah, this is my friend Johnny Tim, and this is FDR, and this is Caucasian Stinky, and this is Larry of Bristol. So she kicks everybody out and opens his underwear and goes, is this the bullet? And he's all, uh... And she puts on an Aquaman costume and says, I get it too soon. I'll just be your sidekick printer cably. That'll make the sex feel less weird. So they drive around in this jalopy looking for crimes to stop, but all they find are kids playing hopscotch in the park. So they write them up for gambling, vandalizing public property, and abusing chalk. And they see an old lady feeding pigeons, so they write her up for indecency. So some things happen, and she's always trying to seduce him, but he's not interested in her because she's young and beautiful and adorable and freaky and frisky and chaste and innocent. But she'd still suck the golf ball off a trailer hitch through a garden hose. I mean, put the hose in her mouth with her tongue, a cherry stem, twist. uh, Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. So she gets half her face blown off. There goes that boner. But as the human centipede doctor would say, well, her mouth is still intact. So except for that one hiccup, the raid on Kevin Bacon's ski lodge mostly goes well, and Dwight kills Kevin Bacon by shooting a gomja bar into his cloisters. <laughs> and Liv Tyler sees the error of her ways and goes back to Rain Wilson, then sees the error of those ways and marries some other dude and has kids with them and goes to her Heroin Addicts Anonymous meetings and teaches young kids how to do what she did. Um, and her kids mail pictures of stuff they've heard mom describe when she's having withdrawal flashbacks, which they mail to Rain Wilson, which he papers his bedroom with as a reminder of what good deeds can achieve in an uncaring universe. I assume he buried Ellen Page behind the comic book store. That's what I'd have done. The end. <laughs> All right. So, uh, <sighs> what was that, Kelly Wand? Did your oh, glasses sorry. just fall off? Yeah. What? What's this button do? <laughs> what the? You put I. All right, so I, I want to go on record, first of all, saying I have never really gotten into trauma movies. Uh, and, and James Gunn's last movie was Slither, which was very much a trauma horror film, and it was fine. It was okay. Oh, it's uh, great. You're being too hard on Slither. No, I know. A lot of people dig trauma. I just don't find all the, the their sort of gross-outy approach stuff and that sense of humor. It doesn't really work for me. But uh, I could definitely see continuity with James Gunn's trauma stuff in this movie, 
But this movie worked for me entirely and almost like 100 percent. There were some uneven bits I didn't like about it, but I would say this is the first and it's not really a trauma movie, though. Uh, So I want to say like this is the first trauma-esque kind of movie that worked Mm -hmm. for me. Um, It's a little trauma-esque. Well, I mean, uh, okay. Well, let's talk about it. I would say it's it's more trauma esque than Slither. Slither's almost mainstream, straightforward. You heard me. Now, Dingus, do you know when we talk about trauma? I think this is the sort of thing that when you were growing up, you were busy watching, uh, like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, whatever you were into. While Kelly and I were seeing some weird trauma stuff. Like, Dingus, (laughs) does that mean much to you? Like, when we talk about trauma movies, does that mean anything to you? Actually, I was busy watching Holy Avenger movies. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and I wish that were a joke. Um, yeah, well, I know now because there was a, a, somebody, um, Talisker from the forums, uh, introduced me to Tromeo and Juliet, which I think was a movie club pick. And, um, and then we went to see Slither together, and that was one of the, one of the two movies that I almost threw up during while watching it. And you did scream, uh, and you did. Dingus did scream like a little girl, much to the amusement of other what? people in the theater when we saw. Yeah, something. there were there were some high school girls watching that movie in the theater, and they were laughing at me. Or Tom, <laughs> somebody somebody next to me was screaming like a little girl, and I think that that might have been somebody else, but it wasn't me. But so Dingus, as like when when we talk about trauma movies, then so you sort of get at you, you sort of know what that gets at, like what that kind of movie is, right? Uh, yes, and and almost you know I I don't really understand what kelly's getting at by saying this is more trauma than slither uh but um but having watched a couple years ago tromeo and juliet i i think i picked up on what that means i would say this is more trauma i correct me if i'm wrong kelly wanted but slither is 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 pretty straight up like genre horror it's a studio movie but it happens to have a lot of trauma trappings, like especially. Yeah, and I the, love Slither. I think it's awesome, and okay. I think the, I love the ending that everybody's still dead in the town, unlike the faculty, where they all just come back and it's all this fucking sugar-coated bullshit. And I like so, the faculty too, but uh, right, right, Slither is true to its roots. But, but so but, you, uh, you would say this though is pretty trauma, you would say. Yeah, because right? it's also uh-huh. cheaper and it's kind of it's weirder humor. It's funkier than yes. Slither. Yes. Um, it's grimy and uh, that's what that's what I really like. It's really unruly in a trauma way. Well, I would say the uh, a hallmark of trauma is it's uncomfortable. You know, you know, trauma seems like a lot of that seems to be about making the audience uncomfortable. Uh, and there's a lot yeah. of that in this that, that I feel I don't know. Well, well, but there's a lot of that I feel that works very well and it serves the material. Like the material is very well built around making you uncomfortable watching Super. Uh, I, I feel that it really fits with what they're they're trying to do here. So as far as trauma movies go, this is one where if you wanted to call it that, it's not officially one, I don't think. This is James Gunn doing his own thing, I believe. It's very much an indie film. Uh, this is like, I, I would say, the first trauma movie that, that worked for me. So I'm a huge fan of this. I, I really like this movie a lot. Uh, Kelly Wand, I am guessing this was right up your alley. As soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, Kelly Wand needs to see this. Dingus, however, I'm not sure about. <laughs> so Kelly Wan, what do you think Dingus would think of this? Like, would this just would this just like blow his frail mind? He's gonna get hung up on the Ellen Page thing, and what would he's gonna him throw up? off his otherwise sensible take <laughs> on things? What would what would he get hung up about with Ellen Page? Because she was twenty. Uh, her demise. Well, yeah, but she's playing okay. a a nine a nine year old. <laughs> 
Oh, when you said, wait, wait, also, too, right. you said something awesome to me before we saw it, because I was like, oh, Ellen Page is in it. Like, So, yeah, here's a great moment. This is, a, by the right. way, an instance of comedic timing. I just want to, I can't possibly recreate it. It had to be natural. At one point, we're all hanging out, talking about what movies are showing. Uh, and I, I had seen Super, and I'd said something about you should see Super. And, Kelly, you Googled Super, and you were looking at the little tiny pictures of it on IMDb. And there's obviously a picture of a woman in a tight latex outfit. And you kind of went, oh, who's that? And then after a beat, we heard this, oh, it's Ellen Page. <laughs> right, because it's like not that Ellen Page is. No, no, see, and then here's the thing. Okay, that's, huh? that to me is the boring part of the of the story. It's like okay. <laughs> you, you were like, dude, this – I go, I love Ellen Page. I think she's really talented and articulate, and, and she's even pretty. But I've, it's like I've seen her so young, and she seems so young. Mm-hmm. It's like I can't – you know, I like her as a friend. And you're like, dude, not after this movie. <laughs> oh. And you know what? You were so right. <laughs> I, I totally fell in love with uh, her character. Okay, well, good. Yeah. Well, hold that thought because that was also a huge point of uh, – uh, it was crucial to what made this work for me. It was on page. So you think that's going to yes. be a hang for Dingus? Well, she comes to a bad end, which to mm-hmm. me um, I think is – I mean she's set up as a – I get the sense that this bothered – I know it bothered Roger Ebert, and I can see where it would bother some reviewers maybe because it's like – it's a young girl's face half shot off, <laughs> but she's been set up as a reckless, amoral, batshit maniac, and I think it's true to the <laughs> spirit of the movie. I mean, I'll take that over Lilu and Fifth Element. Just I don't know, nothing happened with her. It okay, was well, let's let's throw it over to Dingus. Uh, I'm gonna turn I'm gonna turn on his sound again so he can now hear us and see what he thinks. All right, so Dingus, uh, what did you think? I missed him. Yeah. Super, yeah. Sorry, we accident. We had a, mis- a technical problem there, Dingus. You got cut off for a minute. Uh, tell us what you thought of Super. Hold on, reckless, amoral, batshit, <laughs> maniac. Got it. Because the thing is, all those are right, but that's not how I would phrase it. <laughs> no, no, no. But I'm saying I'm defending the death scene because right. I think it's good. I but support it was like, James like, it's Gunn. Like, it's like everything you said is correct, but I would tweak the verbiage a bit to to push the the idea that she's very pixie-ish. Indi- she, well, she, she, she portrays all of those in an incredibly endearing way. Yes. Uh, which kind Adorable. of tempers. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, anyway. So, Dingus, you don't know what we're talking about here. Let's just throw it over. Dingus, what did you think of Super, and was there anything in it that maybe bothered you or that, that you had a hang-up about? Um, anything that bothered me. Let me try to think. What might have bothered me about it? <laughs> it's worse than we thought. Hmm, let me think. Uh-oh. Well, it can't have been Ellen Page because the utter... An unbelievable psychotic freedom of her performance wouldn't have bothered me. So it wouldn't have been that. <laughs> Maybe it would have been Rain Wilson playing the same character he's played in every other movie. But still, if we could that's, eliminate that's all those other movies he's played, this is perfect for him. Yeah, so that's I don't know too. that there's really anything that bothers me. I'm afraid that I'm going to disappoint you and agree that I that I really, really like this movie a lot. Well, so we're, we're in for another boring bo- podcast where we just... Don't argue right. about how good it is. No, he's trolling here. us. <laughs> he's trolling us. All right, well, then, well, if we're going to do some trolling, then let, let me take issue with something. Uh, of course, we all loved Ellen Page. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, I've always, I have really liked Rain Wilson for a while, even though I, I haven't, I don't really know what he does on The Office. That's his claim to fame. Um, but I have to take issue with lumping this in with everything else that he's done. Uh, Hesher, I, I think it's it's funny that you bring up Hesher, Kelly Wand, because in Hesher there's there's not a lot of his sort of typical comedy. Uh, mm-hmm. But but what I th- when I think of the stuff he's done in movies, 
Uh, and Dingus, I don't know that you've seen these, but I think of movies like uh, My Super Ex-Girlfriend, where he's just the goofy best. Oh, oh, he's in Juno. That's the other Ellen Page connection, where he's just a throwaway clown part. I think he runs a convenience store. In, right. Or he's like, a, yeah, he's a convenience he's store. He's a pharmacist. Juno. Right, okay. Oh, that, that's right, right. When she's buying, uh, yeah, she's going for prophylactics or whatever, that scene, yeah. But he's she's also... Doing, going for prophylactics. She's getting her pregnancy test. Nobody calls oh. him that, you nerds. <laughs> well, I didn't know if it, I didn't remember if it was like the pill or rubber. So pregnancy test, right? Okay. Anyway, oh <laughs> also the rocker, like the rocker, was a Rain Wilson vehicle with, I believe, Emma Stone. That was where I first noticed how awesome she was. Mm. Um, but in in the rocker, he's the lead there, and he's just a a, a middle aged loser type. Um, so so I, I and, and all of those, he's just a throwaway clown part, uh, and I don't think they give him much substance. So where I really thought this was a departure is how he starts off with that clown and that that early weeping, oh, I'm such a loser bit is almost kind of embarrassing. But I think he gets a lot of gravitas by the time the movie is over. Um, he also has really interesting eyes and he's and that really favors a part where you're wearing a mask a lot like he and, looks as he, a, yeah, I think he wears the mask better than, say, Christian Bale, you yes. know, as far as having him work under that. <gasps> What did, did I just fit you, Dingus? No, I and just can't believe Reynolds. you. You would you would speak against the Dark Knight. <laughs> I'm not saying Christian Bale's but actually well, I, no. I'm I'm just saying you know he he does good. Cowl. He didn't say he's Ledger. <laughs> he's also his eyes. I'm glad you guys brought that up. His eyes and his face are really good in that um, opening credit animated sequence. I don't know what it is about him, but they're really good when they're translated into that weird animation. Yes, I'm not remembering that, but uh, I'll oh, go it's through. so great the the opening credit sequence. It's like crayon is, cartoons, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah but that's how his face it's is. A, <laughs> it's a musical number. It's not like it's not really the opening. It's it's you have that that opening section, and then you have have the calling all destroyers by this group called SAR, and uh, and it's this and it's a animated musical number, and all the characters in the film are represented, and they're doing like a musical number, and then at the end of the musical number, they're all breathing. <sighs> Like they've just gotten done uh, dancing and singing. I love the opening credits, but but his face really translates well. And you're, you guys are right. His eyes are so great, and they work when they animate them over. And I I give him credit for that. But in, so I just I just want to then my point being that I, I think it's unfair to sort of say that this is. And I'm, I think I'm this quoting you dingus but but i disagree when you say it's like all the other roles he's played uh that's sort of the starting point but in i can't think of any of the other roles he's done and even hesher i liked what he did there it didn't have nearly the range that, that he got here but even though that's his starting point you know typical loser character uh the places that it goes i feel sets this apart dramatically from the other types of parts he's gotten to do they also help because at the beginning he's he seems a lot more like Dwight, like it's still funny. And when he's sitting behind the dumpster talking into his tape recorder and going, oh, there's a box like that's something Dwight would have said on the office. So it's like it, right. it trick it's misdirection by James Gunn to make you go, oh, it's just wacky comedy. You know, it's you're in your comfortable office zone and then it turns darker and darker as it goes right. on. But yeah, I think I have a lot more experience with the office than you or well, not direct experience with the office with watching the the uh, sure, sure. american version of the office than you do so i was sort of primed for that sort of uh deliberate obstinate dwight character that that is awkward and and uh and blundering through that you kind of get from him 
Okay. And you see him playing, and even in Hesher, and and I'm not saying he doesn't and have his rage to, too. to pull off what happens at the end. And my point, when I what I was saying earlier is is it, is if this is the first thing, then I don't have any of that baggage, and I would be knocked out by him a little bit more. But I still, he still wins me over, and his final moment is freaking beautiful. Now uh-huh. his final moment or his penultimate moment? Um, hold on. Uh, I'm thinking. Maybe, I might be thinking of his penultimate moment, the moment okay. where he's looking at the pictures. It gets so one of the thi- oh that that is his final moment. Okay, because I, I it gets so one of the things that I wonder. So it's obviously a very dark movie, very R-rated, very uh, some very unexpected twists. Uh, do you guys feel and and Dingus, this is I think you mentioned the final moment. This is partly why I'm asking this. Do you ever feel it's too? And we use this verb. I think I use this adjective for win-win. Uh, do you feel it's ever too Sundancey? <laughs> what? Too Sundancey? <laughs> you know that that uh, sort of heartwarming. Like I'm thinking they they even play with I it can't. with that sort of that la 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 la. There's like that that music. <laughs> yeah, that but la, the la, trauma. La music. The trauma influences dwarf the Sundance. Okay, good, good. So then, Dingus, explain why. So you were you were knocked out. So the, the final moment. You're not talking about the showdown with Kevin Bacon. You're talking no. about the the sort of the denouement, where you actually I, I feel the the actual point of the movie finally comes through. That's where it really worked for you. Where it was just his eyes. I mean, he was he was basically crying, looking at the pictures on the wall. Uh, that you were knocked out by. Uh, I was I was really impressed by what yep. what was going on inside of him there. Yep. Um, and and I watched that moment a couple of times. Uh, it's a really meaningful moment to me, especially when you consider the, the first because at first I was a little bit confused about what the film was saying there. And I had to kind of go back and check because I, I was I had a, uh, a misinterpretation of of the film until I watched it a couple of times. Um, but what he's doing there is is fantastic. And I like what what you guys both said about about how he is in the mask, uh, Mr. Bale, notwithstanding. Uh, because I think you're right, and I didn't think about that. He's he's really good in that math, and that's so, not easy to do. So, Kelly Wand, you hate it when there is redemption at the end of movies. So then, did that final moment, that denouement part, did that bother you at all? Were you okay with that? It did at first, but the more I thought about it, the more I liked it. it Although the it. first time I saw it, yeah, I, I thought about it as less of a redemption. Um because he's he's not really redeemed, <laughs> he's just bummed, mm-hmm. uh, which isn't really the same as redeemed. But he, uh, but I was also obsessing too, like why are the last five minutes of screen time, like the last five movies in a row, <laughs> Bad Teacher, X Men, Tree of Life, <laughs> Super Eight, the prequel to this movie, uh, and then so yeah, it's like another fucking five minutes of the thing. But then I thought about it in relation to what we just saw. Mm-hmm. And it did seem cry worthy, <laughs> like, like it 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 made it seem more authentic. I guess, mm-hmm. I don't know. I uh, it's it's a more because it came out this like right after Kick Ass, like much to the annoyance of both directors. Like it's just one of those things that happens, like with Armageddon and whatchamacallit. Mm-hmm. Like this script was knocking around for a long time, so it's like it. But the thing. After seeing it, I had, I had to think about it in relation to Kick-Ass, and it was definitely the more interesting vision and the more realistic version. Dude, someone's glasses just fell off. Sorry. <laughs> or the battery fell out. Uh, let me Dingus take a stab at this, because uh, what, what you've mentioned, Kelly, one, I, I want to talk about. Uh, so, uh, to, one of the things that I... It, 
that I really loved about Super and why I didn't – I think the last five minutes are crucial. And I, I'm glad to hear they didn't bother you, Kelly Wand, as a, as a sort of a fake tacked-on redemption. I'm glad to hear you mentioning that Dingus is really appreciating that part of Rain Wilson's performance. Um, what, what I feel Super does that, that Kick-Ass missed the point of and that even a, a good movie like Defendor with Woody Harrelson – kind of grasped at a little bit but didn't fully appreciate is really examining and deconstructing what this goofy stuff is about superheroes you know and, and comic books uh i all of that stuff i i've never been a fan of comic books and i'm I, I'm, I'm okay with it i mean i can sort of enjoy a comic book movie or whatever but but there, it strikes me that there's something about this super superhero stuff is mostly about power fantasies uh, and I, I think they're a response to feelings of, of powerlessness, which everybody can understand, but I think it's particularly popular uh, among children. You, you know, that's part of childhood is this feeling of powerlessness. And you imagine, you know, what if you found a magic ring or what if you were a superhero? Uh, so I think that's what a lot of superhero stuff comes out of. And what I really appreciate about Super is examining uh, this, I, the, the implications of this. Okay. I'm powerless, I'm alienated, I'm lonely. What if I suddenly could just whack people with a wrench? What would that be like? What would that solve? Mm -hmm. You know, what could I get out of that? And it, it, it goes down this course, you know, I love the moment where he whacks the people who butt in at line and it's a completely mm -hmm. dispro disproportionate response. It doesn't help him. And I love specifically the implications of the showdown with Kevin Bacon. They're little, they've got like three or four lines back and forth that are just fantastic writing and a great bit of sort of introspection about superhero power fantasies. I love that. But I feel that what Super finally does and what it finally appreciates is this BS about I'm the chosen one. I should have power. I mm -hmm. should not experience this feeling of powerlessness. You know, I should have what I want. That is ultimately not what matters. The chosen one, and this is the point of Super at the end, is that he helps live Tyler, you know, that she's the chosen one. And what might sort of feel like a little BS twist or whatever I think on the contrary is, is the central point of the movie and, and the fact that we freeze on that it ends on Rain Wilson's face when he appreciates this and he's come out of this juvenile power fantasy into appreciating it's not about me getting what I want. It's about me helping someone get what she needs to, to thrive in life. Uh, and I love that that final twist is the point of the movie and where the movie brings him. And I think that's very important. And I think that is the ultimate bit of subversion to goofy superhero stuff that's the point of the movie and that I loved about it. So, so you're saying that was more evocative to you than Kick-Ass's ending when the guy did the line from the Jack Nicholson Joker? <laughs> like that That to you was missing the point? I don't know. Because Kick-Ass is so – I mean it's, it's just – it's just so superficial. I mean, Kick-Ass is, yeah. about, is about how awesome Chloe Moritz is. And that, right. I love that part of the movie. And that's just another power fantasy. And it's a great instance of that power fantasy. But Super even owns that because Ellen Page owns Chloe Moritz in this movie. You know what she does? Well, well, and, well the thing is, whenever we talk about Kick-Ass, we're always talking about her. We're not talking right. about the titular character because that character is meaningless to us. Yeah, it should just be called Hit Girl. And, and the kind of thing is, though. The batter would suck. It's, it's really odd how Super, in a way, acknowledges that by throwing in its own version of Hit Girl, this sort of crazy psychosis. Yeah. And but with consequences. Her... Exactly, right. exactly. With really weird consequences and with an acknowledgement of the sexuality going on there. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a, that's another that's another I don't want to call it a trauma thing because, you know what, let's let's 
credit James Gunn who wrote and directed this thing. I think it's that's a great James Gunn thing where he makes you feel uncomfortable about her sexuality, her violence, her energy, yeah. her, her willingness to go along with this. You know, her and her underwear going ha 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 when the guy gets hit by the car. That yeah. is a great cross between oh that's funny or wait a minute I feel a little weird. Isn't that is that not funny? I mean that he really does examine the implications of what if you had this this crazy girl loose hurting people. Uh, yeah. I could make it work. <laughs> Wait, what? It did well, work. She was my sidekick. Oh. <laughs> I'd, I'd know how to like handle Like, It would be fine. One of the things that I, I tend to equate, and, and maybe this is a step backward a little bit, when you say trauma and talk about uncomfortable, is, is the use of gore in an almost uh, unnecessary way. Okay. And I'm wondering if that if there's anything in this film that because there there are things I'm speaking I'm thinking of particularly with Tromeo and Juliet where it just feels like we're just doing this because we've got the special effects makeup and we can do it and we're going to make you uncomfortable and make you feel oogie about it. Uh, does that does that enter into this film for you guys at all? I'm going to guess, I think Kelly Wan and I are such huge fans of gore, even when it's gratuitous, yeah. like, <laughs> that uh, to see it. We appreciate I, the effort. Like, hey, thanks for making You took a lot of trouble to motion capture her face for that bullet shot. Well, that's the thing is the, uh, the it's so carefully escalated in yeah. Super. I mean, Super, I think, doles it out in very appropriate measures for that final shocking shot of Ellen Page, you know, half of her face gone. Uh to and actually that that final shot too of Rain Wilson plunging that knife into Kevin Wilson while the camera pulls back. I mean that's a fantastic bit of gore that the movie has earned and that I feel is just crucial at that point. I mean I think you need to see that you need that shot yeah. of this guy just repeatedly stabbing. I mean normally when you see like a someone knifing someone in the like like when you show that in earnest and I'm thinking of a scene in Zodiac, uh, in David Fincher's Zodiac oh, where like stabbings are really, you know, if you just do the sliding blade and blood spurting out or whatever, like it can look goofy. But when you really like you can make stabbings just weirdly just just intimate and uncomfortable and painful looking. And by the time you're, you're watching that at the end of Super, I feel that it's important that you're seeing it and it has really earned it. Uh, so I, one of the things that I really liked about the gore here is how it escalated and how it really was important to what the movie was saying at any given time. I thought. And also, it, that's a big thing to me. The, the, something that I always found annoying about comic books is like there it was always about these fights and they would like trump up fights between the he different heroes. And then after the fights, I was like, well, so now what do you do with them? You <laughs> kill them, you put them in prison. Like you're just gonna have to fight them again in three fucking issues. So it's like. Here's what the logical extension of that is. It's like Mexican standoff. Next step. <laughs> and, and it like kind of like, it. and I think James Gunn was aware of that because at the end when he's shotgunning people and you see those little colorful word things popping up like in a comic book where, where somebody's getting hit with a shotgun and it'll say like kapow, which is not yeah. the noise that a shotgun makes. You know, that's not what happens when you shoot somebody with a shotgun. Right. Uh, I really feel like James Gunn is, is, is aware of that and is kind of poking fun of, at it uh, at that point. Yeah, the Ellen Page thing, that's the only time I can think of where he, he like kind of lingered on a close-up of something like that. And all, almost all the other time, it's like it could be a Coppola movie. It's just like well, shit that happened. There's a like couple they, of moments where I, you know, I, I would disagree with that. I mean, there's that, there's that first, uh, there's that early flashback moment with Sean Gunn 
um, where uh, where oh. Rain Wilson shoves the poker in his eye and it sprays blood. And then there's of course the the tentacle rape of his fa of his head where but that's we a see hallucination. The brain but the, that's still gore, Kelly. I mean, no hallucinations <laughs> aren't gore. Oh, shut up! <laughs> but that's again, what I was talking anyways, about. Anyways, you've got those those two moments, and so I like what you're saying about him earning that moment at the end. But he still can't help but dole those out. Right. Well, you know even. Go on, sorry. Well, I just I want to say Dingus is so right in that those two early instances. I, I mean, I think part of what we're seeing there is this character's like pent up rage and anger, and you know this idea that he really wants to take that poker and stick it through uh, the the gun brother's throat at that point, point. Um, and the hallucination that he has inspired by the tentacle stuff he saw on TV. By the way, I think there's this idea that all of this gross mm-hmm. stuff is in his head. Uh, that he, he gets these ideas sort of put in, in his head. But then the real violence is always subdued. And like when you see him bash that guy head, head, in the head with the wrench, it's like the guy's head just leaves the frame. and You never see it again. Uh, they, they do get when he bashes the people who butt in line. There's a some gratuitous blood. <laughs> just for a second. It's not the same, though. It's not over the top. It's not trauma looking. Until Ellen Page, I thought. Well, so, so Dingus, so did, did the gore, like, did you feel it, it worked? Did you ever feel, like you mentioned, so for you, a hallmark of trauma is this sort of gratuitous gore. Uh, did you feel that was the case here? Uh, the the Sean Gunn moment, I think I thought was, that was one of those moments where I was like, what? Because <laughs> um, it's just this, this arterial spray of blood out of his eye or something. Right, right. Uh, which is just, which just felt like, okay, we're, is that where we're going to go? But there's nobody pulling each other's ears off or, you know, shoving pokers up noses. Everything else seems to make sense. And the hallucination or the mental issue there, you know, justifies it. It just, it feels like there's a couple of times when he just can't help it, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> it's, the trauma. But, it's the trauma in him. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm fine with that. And, and and actually, you know, now that I think about it and now that you guys kind of talk about it, um, I think that it makes uh, – I don't want to say it softens the blow, but it, it makes the um, the Ellen Page moment or the, the Bolty moment, uh, her death, uh, it, at least it's not, whoa, this is the first time I've seen anything like this in this movie. Um, which I And I really actually liked that moment. Kelly thought I wouldn't liked it. I wouldn't like it. I wouldn't like it because I just like the idea of uh, we're putting on these vests and nobody's going to shoot at our heads. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> That's what's missing from Kick-Ass. That's why Kick-Ass is so much weaker. No, come on, Kelly Wanning. Kick-Ass, the dude gets stabbed. It, it, well, it really, what? It, oh. it really does examine the real life implications of what if someone was. Yeah. And then that gives him a superpower. <laughs> he has a nerve damage superpower. <laughs> Oh, you know what? I think you're right. He's immune to pain. I forgot yeah, about that. Yeah, it's a plot point. Yeah. Oh, okay. my God. It's oh, called yes. a MacGuffin. It's a spinal <laughs> MacGuffin. Deus Ex Machina. I dig as we cut you off. What were you going to say? I was just going to ask if, Kelly, have you seen the movie Defendor? No. So, Dingus, that... talk, talk a bit about Defendor and how uh, you feel it compares or not to uh, to Super. Well, I th- you know, I, I don't even think about Kick-Ass when we talk about this movie. I, I'm much more likely to think about Defendor. And I wonder how, since we're talking about those other two movies, and, and now I've brought, and well, Tom brought up Defendor a couple of minutes ago. I wonder how, I just wonder about the uh, development of these three movies and why they all came out, not in a cluster, but in succession, sort of. Because for Defendor, Woody Harrelson is playing... Uh, the rain wilson part but but um what i and i really like defendor a lot 
Um, but what I like about um, Super, I don't, I don't know how to say this. It, it, Defendor, it, it, it seems to be working on or, or relying on the main character's mental deficiency to work toward his heroism. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's a really good performance. But you're sort of always aware of his mental slowness or his mental deficiency. And you don't get that sense in watching this. You get this, the sense of who Rain Wilson is playing, which is a very different character. And I, and that appeals to me more. Plus, Ellen Page, I mean, Ellen Page makes this movie for me. She really does. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, again, it's just such a, a, a performance filled with just this, this idea of freedom. And she's really trying some things and she could really fail. And I love it when an actor does that. I mean, that laugh alone, mm-hmm. uh, you could really get in trouble with that laugh. Uh, but it works. I mean, good for her. She was attached to Defendor at one point. Oh, she was? Yeah. The character in Defendor, though, is nothing like – it's Kat Dennings yeah, it, in Defendor, and she's good. But there's none of the – she's no hit girl. It's just the sort of the damsel in distress, yeah. almost like love interest type thing. So there's she wouldn't have gotten the chance to do anything like she did in Super, if she had been in Defendor, which, by the way, Kat Dennings is very good in that. Uh, she but. is, and and it's a it's a really good movie, but it really suffers in comparison to Super, unfortunately. Yeah. And I don't know if you feel that way, Tom. I, I mean, you. I don't. I don't know if you have the problem that I have, where where once I see Super, I feel a little worse about Defendor, even though I really like. No, no, I, I don't know that it's a problem because I liked Defendor with some exceptions anyway. Like it, uh, I really though do feel that that Super gets at the the point of these superhero movies and the problem with them. As far if you're going to deconstruct a superhero movie, I think Super is the the it has the right idea. It, it's mm-hmm. it's ideas about this this concept of superheroes. They speak to me more than you know what maybe any superhero movie I've ever seen. In that I don't really care about that genre much. Uh, and Defendor didn't do that so much. Defendor was kind of playful and cute, and this idea of, you know, you kind of have to be stupid to be a superhero. Uh, but I, I, I think that's super- what Thor's point was too. Thor, Thor I would. Okay, Thor well, should have sp- spoken to you. <laughs> no, I don't remember that. You're Thor- the Natalie Portman. Yeah, I, you know what? I can't. I couldn't tell you a single thing about Thor. That was just in one ear, out the other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but uh, you, you know, Super's idea, like, uh, it's just much more, I think, better articulated than what Defender's getting at. Certainly better than what Kickass is getting at. Watchmen is great, but all literary. So as far as deconstructing superheroes, uh, you know, Super makes them all look bad. I don't think it diminishes the others necessarily. Uh, no. But uh, it's the one that I, I would certainly pick. Um, Hmm. So now I, I shouldn't see Defendor because it's not as good. You should see Defendor. Defendor is good. It's it's no super. Um, so I should have seen. So him so I, I want I do want to say though Ellen Page is a huge part of it. Like a huge part of what makes super work. And this is something that uh, you really don't have in Defendor. There's no counterpart to this in Defendor. You do have it in Kick Ass, but Kick Ass cheats to do it. Is the lead character in Super? is really buttoned down and sullen and repressed. And it would be, I think, a sort of a dull 90 minutes to just watch him. Uh, not to say you couldn't make it work. But one of the things that Super does is it brings in a foil who is hyperactive and off-kilter and endearingly childish. And as Kelly said, batshit insane. Uh, she is such a great foil to what Rain Wilson is doing. 
the the contrast between these two drives this movie and it's sort of you, you know we talked a little bit about the movie super eight not to be confused you know you, you, when super eight introduces a really cool female character and halfway through it just uses her as a plot device and gets rid of her so she can be rescued super knows not to do that you know once ellen page she sort of creeps into the movie and then she's in it for a while with a bang and when she exits it's it's hugely manipulative to how you feel not necessarily in a bad way it just has a huge effect on how you feel um so her contrast to rain wilson and the way the movie uses her character i just think is so perfectly done uh in in super and and defender has nothing like that there's such a nice touch to the character too, because it's not it's not this like Lady Macbeth character, but it's not <laughs> no. it's not the female voice of reason either. No. <laughs> um, Far she's from just, it. I don't I, I don't know if I've seen the character like this. I just loved how she was from the beginning in the in that in that stereotypical hot girl in a comic shop to. <laughs> to how she just goes for it. Oh, I just, uh, if you're him, it's okay. Cause I hate butters too. And just always want, I mean, you know, I want to do this and she's just rushing forward and, and so sexual and awkward at the same time. I just, I can't believe this part. And I'm so happy that she did it. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that, are you him look and, and that, that beat like where she's studying him is so in, in a weird way, is so incredibly sexy. Like she is so mm-hmm. good with these weird off kilter, sexy moments. Uh, and but I movie, also like, go ahead, Tom. Well, and the movie wasn't shy about that either. I mean, the fact that it explored no. it with maybe what you might construe as a rape scene. I mean, that was, that was weird that it did that. And I, I appreciate <laughs> that it went there. Uh, yeah. I wish. Uh, oh, never mind. <laughs> I know what you were going to say. I know what you're going to say, Kelly Wan. I won't say it. I'm glad Save you it. didn't. Keep your powder dry. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but I liked even like early on. Kelly Wand, Kelly Wand, what? Kelly Wand. That's inappropriate. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> if I, I was love... a father, I wouldn't have said that. I Kelly Wand, if you, if you want to celebrate, bake a cake. Yeah. <laughs> I just love when she's when she's starting to fondle herself in the suit, and that's uh, his remark. That's inappropriate. <laughs> I love how there's there's a the, when she first shows up in the suit, and, the, and James Gunn is really good at this, at showing the the way she looks sexually in different shots differently. I mean, that first time she shows up and she's just like, look at my, you know, she's doing that thing uh, in profile and moving her arms and. And she looks sexy, and and even I was a little, uh, am I, I'm a little uncomfortable with this. And then later, when she shows up again, right before the rape, and she's she looks a little less sexy for some reason by the lighting, but she's still trying so hard for it because it's inappropriate. And I like how he can get the different levels of sexuality she's supposed to have from that to that to I'm in my underwear in the car. I mean. <laughs> Yeah. And that's right. And he's later in his underwear on the bed. And yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of awesome use of underwear in this movie. <laughs> three by three. <laughs> and those are party out to tend him. Uh, by the way, I love the fact that the, the douchey guy who was making out with her who wanted to stay was named Christian. Ah, <laughs> uh, typecast. Uh-huh, Have Dick fun just... with the sugar daddy, the candy. That he's gonna... <laughs> oh, I will. Chunky. <laughs> They're, little girls really like chunkies. 
Wait, that came out wrong. I'm not like not that. going to three by three yet, Kelly Wan. Oh. We're not done. Hey, uh, hey, we should talk about Kevin Bacon actually at some point. We absolutely should talk about Kevin Bacon because I had seen this before I saw X Men First Class. So you guys had not seen this by the time I. So you were giggling during X-Men. No, I was totally annoyed. Not giggling, I was totally annoyed. I was like, if you want to use Kevin Bacon as a villain, here is the here is where you need to, you know, this is the movie that knew how to do it. You know, Kevin Bacon from his first scene in Super, uh, you know, this that's another crucial part of a good uh, superhero movie is, of course, the villain has to be great. And I loved Kevin Bacon in this. He was so good. And uh, just his scenes that were supposed to be funny and this idea, like, is he really a threatening guy? Is he not? Uh, I, I loved what, what he did. And I loved his final scene. I mean, the fact that it was him and Rain Wilson, that was just I don't want to say every bit as good as the Joker and Batman and Dark Knight, but it sort of lived up to that as far as, you know, that needs to be the 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 highlight. You know, that has to be the the climax of the superhero movie is the face to face confrontation between the villain and the superhero. You can't just have your superhero punch the villain so hard and he wins. You know, that's the stupid Iron Man stuff where Robert Downey Jr. punches Jeff Bridges so hard and then it's game over. There needs to be some sort of a face-to-face confrontation with an exchange of ideas. You know, like in ha- Superman Returns? I don't know because I don't. they punch each other all over the city in that. I don't, does Terrence Stamp ever say anything meaningful to Christopher Reeve in that? Uh, this is the Kevin Spacey one, and they never see oh, each oh, other sorry. again. It <laughs> kicks sorry. him in the water. But seriously, it's that you know that that face to face discussion that it has to end with that you know when characters talk rather than just punch each other really really hard. That is good writing. I mean, that's important to me. And Super mm-hmm. does that. I loved that, and Kevin Bacon just sold it so well. Um, so you guys. Previously, your experience with Kevin Bacon as a villain, you were thinking, hey, he was good in X-Men Legends. Well, and Liv Tyler was in Hulk, so she's a Marvel alumnus, too. I want to talk about her, too, but hold that thought. Let's uh, let's let's talk some Kevin Bacon. Uh, <laughs> so did he live up to the great work that you guys thought he did in X-Men First Class? Yeah, he was funny. He shows up, he gets eggs right away, and then he says, uh, I complimented your cooking. I stop hitting my car like i relate to all these characters he thought he was being so reasonable and rational. yeah and, and, yeah Come on, i liked your eggs right. Fuck. everyone in the movie's nuts like they're more insane like rain wilson really is the least insane character i guess Liv tyler's less insane than rain I mean, is kevin bacon insane i mean he's just a, a guy who runs a nightclub and who kind of likes this girl. same people it's- don't get eggs from their cuckolds what kind of sick fantasy do you live in? <laughs> Let's bring Dingus in on this. Yeah, Dingus. Is Kevin Bacon insane in Super, Dingus? No. Hmm. Okay. He's, okay. He's all about fairness. I mean, that's why he shoots Mr. Range at the end. He's like, this is fair. Hmm. I mean, he I seems to be very lev- level-headed and and first class. And I don't know what the what the actual progression is, what was shot first. But first class, very much now watching this, feels like, do you have any... Are there any leftovers from that thing you did in Super? Because <laughs> if you could bring those over, we could just use those. It really feels like just do a little bit of that. You don't have to try as hard. Just, That's not you know, his fault. Got a lot though. of special effects. No, it's not his. Well, it's never I don't know actors. whether it's his fault or not. I don't know. Um, but he's. I mean, as he as he himself says in this, he's far more interesting in this movie. 
Yeah. Very good, Dingus. Yeah. That. Yeah. But but I do. I mean, I I don't know if you're being facetious, Dingus. But that's the thing is he's not he's not like a cackling guy who's rolling his mustache and you know rubbing his hands together. You get the sense that he's here's a kind of a low life, slightly scummy guy, but he's trying to be reasonable. He's trying to sort of be fairly nice. Uh, even when the guy leaves, it's a drug deal at the end. He's like, "Come on, don't you know?" And he even says, "You know, it's fair." Like I. I just got the sense that he wasn't just some guy twirling his mustache uh, and he was interesting. Uh, you know, I got the sense, too, that he really did love Liv Tyler. Uh, you know, when he. No, he didn't. You don't think it? you don't think when he like when he He's, gives her the heroin and he kisses. That's her, love. Really For him. No, when, sure. I when, mean, I got, when Mr. Range chooses her, there's a, something that goes over his face that. Yeah. I don't know if I can do this. And then he decides and he sort of says, well, you know. Once you're once she becomes a whore, you know, they, there's this thing that he does. that's very much a, a sense that he's telling himself the story. And Michael Rooker, too. You can tell by the way Michael Rooker, Rooker looks at him. They have a little exchange there. Well, Michael, right. Michael Rooker disapproves. And, you know, there's this sense that he's he's sort of ashamed of what he's having to do here. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I just think, you know, what? It, it, it's like Dingus that's said. Not and, love. It's, and it's like Kevin Bacon himself said. He's, he's an interesting character. He mm-hmm. was not the least bit interesting in X-Men First Legends, whatever, and I, you know, I. So I, I'll, I'll give. Would him you that say it. he's more interesting than Sam Witwicky? I don't know who that is. That's the Shia LaBeouf character in uh, Transformator. Ah, you know his name. That's <laughs> uh, true. There's actually another. And now I'm wondering if, if the, this movie has sort of a fairness agenda because there's a couple moments that are about fairness. Uh, not just oh. Kevin Bacon when he's talking about like the car, he's like, hey, you know, it's very, it's very magnanimous of him not to do that twirling mustache thing where you touch my car, so I'm just going to shoot you. That easy thing to do where instead he says, that's not what I meant. Right. Um, and then there's a moment in, 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 uh, in Rain Wilson, one of Rain Wilson's first attacks where the, the drug dealer moves his, like grabs his mask and squirts <laughs> and, and, and Rain Wilson's response is, that's not fair. <laughs> right. Well, so Dingus, I, I would argue that the whole point of the, the this whole superhero bit, the exchange they have at the end where Rain Wilson is, is yelling at him, you know, you don't it basically all comes down to the line. You don't profit on the misery of others. The rules were made a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And there's this sense that this is what, you know, his justification for being a superhero and acting, you know, disproportionately in response to rules being broken is, you know, these are the rules we live by. And Kevin Bacon, his response is, you think you're going to, you know, you think by addressing my wrong, you're going to make the world a better place. You know, it's not the exact line, but that's his, the implication. He says, you think by stabbing me, you're going to change that. And what Rain Wilson says is, I can't know unless I try, which mm-hmm. is which is is not reasonable. It is not. You know, that's the danger of power fantasies like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he then tries and. The, the subversive part at the end of the movie is that's not what makes the world a better place. What makes the world a better place is helping live Tyler. Um, but stabbing him is that, but that is helping her stabbing that guy. But wouldn't you argue though, that it's not the violence that he's doing. That's not what's addressing the fact that the rules were made a long time ago. Uh, you know, his violent reaction isn't what's fixing the situation. It's, it's rescuing Liv Tyler. It's letting her move on to another life that he's not a part of. Well, they're all related. 
I mean, that is true. In the course, you guys keep saying right. villains twirl their mustaches. If he shaved the mustache, that makes the world a better place. I like where you're going with that, but <laughs> <laughs> I like how heartfelt that line is too, where he says, "I, I can't know unless I try." I know exactly. It's, it's not a, a punch beautiful line. moment. It really is. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I, I love to. I just want to say briefly, I love how when you're first watching the movie, and this was my reaction. So I'm like, okay, we got Rain Wilson. Wait a minute. He's ready to live, Tyler? Ugh, no, this is another one of these like... This isn't going to work out. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's like this. He would never get a chick like that. This is so stupid. They just got her. She must so, be on heroin. Well, no, I'm thinking for casting. It's like, oh, they got her. They're going to cast her. They got the hot chick. This is one of those implausible relationships that's a casting thing. But they explain it. Like, I love how in the movie, that's part of the deal is that she's someone who's in rehab she she even says to him at some point, come over here. I want to try something. Uh, <laughs> she 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 recognizes goodness in this character. And she you know, even though he's weird, she's going to try to be with a good man instead of what we presume about her past, what we infer rather than the movie sort of has to tell us with exposition. It doesn't do any of that. Uh, so I love the way it, dre- it addresses this issue of an implausible couple. Uh, and I love how it's a, re- a reveal over the course of the flashbacks about her. Um, Did you think that. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis were a plausible couple in True Lies. I did not think that was a plausible movie. How's uh. that? <laughs> uh, Dingus, you mentioned the music. Uh, so the only music I recognize is that I don't know if it was a cover of the Cheap Trick song, If You Want My Love. or it, I, I'm pretty sure it was the actual song uh, during that flashback where, she, where Liv Tyler says, come here, I want to try something. But otherwise, it seemed like a lot of little indie bands. Now, did you know some of these or did you look that up? No, I just looked up the Tsar one because I, I really liked the Calling All Defenders. I, I really groove on that kind of uh, opening credit sequence, especially when it comes a little bit into the movie and it's it's a it was a it was a musical number and and it made me think of how misused the end credit musical number was in uh, Sucker Punch, and how we didn't get to see any of that and how it felt like it was totally thrown away. Why did you even bother? Right. And this was a fully animated musical number that tells the story of the film in many ways. And, and when you watch it again, you see, uh, you see Bolte show up, you see Kevin Bacon doing a dance, and, and they're all animated. And I really like that. And plus, the song kind of kicks ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I don't really know much of the other music. I, I sometimes feel like when I'm watching a movie like this and I hear a lot of music I don't recognize, I'm wondering, okay, are these – is this just – some indie band that's like a friend of the director's because I don't know this music and it's not really working for me. I felt that way a couple of times. Some of the music I kind of liked, but a lot of the times I was like, no, don't James Gunn, don't put your buddy's indie band songs in this movie. I, I'm, this isn't working for me. Uh, you guys are okay with that music? No. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> wait, Kelly, what? Kelly, one, how did you feel about, so uh, Clark, no, what's his name? Greg Henry. Is that the policeman's name? Yeah. So Greg Henry comes to knock at the door. Rain Wilson looks through the door, and then stuff happens inside his brain. How did you feel about that? Do you remember what uh, I'm talking about? No. You I remember blocked, the brain. You blocked that out of your head. Something happens in his brain? Remember yeah, there's when, a whole animation of, of his brain as if it's like a, a, a thought bubble almost. Right. It's like a thought bubble superimposed over his head in a brain shape, and the events unfurl about what's going to happen when Greg, Hen- Clark- Greg Henry comes into his house and arrests him. You don't remember how that ends up? No. <laughs> I'm sure you don't. All right. 
Wait. I put it in the in the same. I, I don't know where you put the Nathan Fillion things, but uh, but the uh, the finger of God thing, I I kind of put it in that same box. Uh, well, it's so Kevin. You don't you remember? He he imagines himself getting arrested, getting sentenced to prison, and then there's a fairly graphic sequence <laughs> oh, of what happens Lord. in prison. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> One of three. Uh, this movie has a three rape trifecta. The bottom guy reminded me of Dingus. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees when I'm caught in between. Counting one, two, three, feet apart, my free, getting down. It's like pulling teeth. It's like I, bear uh, baiting. I think you were bear baiting. That's part of my trick. Dingus control on Star Wars, and I. Except I never do. You guys do, you jerks. Stop saying that. See, look how easy he is. He's the I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's like take rocket surgery from a baby. <laughs> Dingus, what's our three by three for this week? Uh, this would be your three best examples of comic timing, and this was in a direct reaction to uh, a previous film that we did that had no sense of comic timing whatsoever. What was that film called? Inception. That film was called Bad Teacher. All right. Uh, all right. How long ago was that? Man, uh, it feels last not, year. Not long enough. Uh, all right, so I am doing next week's 3x3, three three, which, which you guys are going to hate, by the way. I'm just saying that uh, right off the bat. Uh, so I will start us off. Now, I <laughs> don't know if I should even do this. I, I don't know what's going to happen. You're going to crash everything. I'm going to break the podcast. So yeah, I we started, we started a little late tonight, so I had the staff work up my choices as MP3s uh, that I could play. Um and when we tried to do that in the past, everything ended up falling apart and going off kilter. Since I'm the only one with MP3s, I think it can maybe handle three of them, but not nine of them. So I don't know. If it starts to sound weird to you guys, let me know, and we'll, we'll try to fix it. You have nine of them? No, because I only have mine. You guys, I presume, the staff didn't have enough time to, to do you guys' three choices. My staff had plenty of time to do all 27 of them. Wow. Well, then- let's... Let's just see how it works. So, then so my Skype crashed, so. Ah, all right. Well, we'll have three tonight. I feel a little che- – you know what? We'll all enjoy listening to them. So I'll say that. So Dingus, I'm, I'm expecting, will give us lines. So Dingus – the thing is, like, I wanted to talk about mine, but I didn't want to have to oh. say the specific moments of timing because I could never possibly do justice to them. So I am going to have the original actors do the instances. Also, I don't know necessarily that I'm hitting what Dingus – wants that but I, I what, what i'm getting at what dingus wanted with the topic but we'll see so uh my number three is uh a lot of it is the physical timing but it, the the comedy of this moment is so important to the timing of various things on screen so even though the line delivery is only a part of that there's a lot of physical stuff going on and i'm just going to play the scene uh, there's going to be a stretch of silence where you have to imagine fantastic physical comedy going on. So here's my three. Party, no, 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 you won't. No, it's my treat, miss. Really? Yep, and that's that. It's the first of many, too, so get used to it, sister. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, no problem. You... Oh. <laughs> that year one? I'm sorry. That guy walked by. It was an accident. Okay. Um, I was going to give you like a nudge on the, like a punch, a friend thing. It's okay. I didn't mean, I'm sorry. Hey, Becca. Wait, that's from Twilight? <laughs> I know that's from Jason Eisenberg. 
So that is my number three, just because the look on their faces and the actual, like the actual shot where somebody bumps him and his fist messes up. It's from Super Bad, and it's Michael Sarah accidentally punching. I think her name is Melissa McIsaac uh, in the chestal area instead of he's going to give her a friendly chuck on the shoulder, and it because he gets bumped from behind, last lands on her her breast. Uh, so I just love that scene. It's perfect sort of Michael Sarah stammery comedy bit. Uh, the look of horror on her face. That girl is so cute and super bad. I mean, she's just so adorable and she's so up to the comedy that they're doing there. Uh, so that's my his number. His voice hadn't turned yet. Has he his sounds voice... younger. He sounds like Ellen Page there. <laughs> As opposed to Scott Pilgrim where he's got a much deeper voice. Yeah. Right. Scott sure. Pilgrim, uh, he'd filled out. <laughs> Well, the French dude does anyway. Wait, that's not Scott Pelham. Um, yeah, youth and revolt. Uh, that's uh, that's exactly what I'm going for, Tom. Uh, and that was one of my runners up. So uh, good choice. I, you know, it's one of those moments that you play over and over and over again. Yeah, you know? and and that's why also I want to say all of mine were really easy to find on YouTube, which is why it was really easy to make MP3. Everyone thinks they're funny. I know. Yeah, I don't. I wish I could come up with some little gem that nobody's heard of, but I'm afraid all of mine are going to be pretty common. So I'm I'm counting on you guys to bring up the cool, obscure stuff. I'm just going mainstream all the way. I didn't know we had to cue shit up. No, you guys are going to have to do. You guys are going to have to do the lines yourselves. Well, mine are all facial expressions. Well, you'll so. have to do that yourself, Kelly Wand. Mm. Okay. I don't like podcasts. <laughs> all right, so Kelly Wand, what is your number three? Favorite instance uh, of, of comedic timing. Well, I thought to be fun, I would come up with one because it's just where do you start, right? You know what I'm talking about. So oh, yeah. I, uh, I figured I'd stick to comic timing in non-comedies to make it more challenging. <laughs> I like. Okay, interesting. I like your tweet. But then I didn't cue anything up, like Mr. Big Shot over here, professional actor, supposedly. <laughs> um. So I'm just going to say what they are, and then you guys go, oh, yeah, what? Uh, and then it's be somebody else's turn to go. So my number three is The End of Birdie. Okay, that's my number three. Thank you. Give us the line. What? what? Very good. <laughs> well done, Kelly Wand. It's pretty funny. You can uh, watch it online on YouTube, according to Tom. Uh, I didn't have time to... Uh, now, how do you feel that Fax that? Machine. How do you feel that that moment fits in with the rest of Birdie? Do you, do you think it fits, or is it a cheat to end with a? I think it fits, but the rest of the movie doesn't fit. <laughs> so I would keep that part and then put the rest on the cutting room floor and step on it. Fair enough. Now, who are the two actors there, Kelly Wand? Matthew Modine and Kevin Bacon. Wait, no, uh, John Travolta. Wait, no, that's the other one. Uh, no, uh, Season of the Witch, isn't it? Because right? remember, it, it was from before he was... Caster Nic- Troy. It was kind of from before Nicolas Cage was uh, was a joke, wasn't it? Like, wasn't... wasn't Wait, don't same. tell me. I'm going to get it. Get what? Matthew Dillon. <laughs> what are you trying to get? The actor's name. Right, Nicolas Cage. I, I already oh, spoiled oh, it. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh. So. All right, so the end of Birdie. Uh, don't want to spoil it, but that was the line. Do it. Give you us didn't the laugh, light. though. Give well, us I didn't li- do it right. All right, try and no, don't force the laugh though. If I don't say it right, don't laugh. Do you I, want me to cue the line by giving yeah. you the line preceding it? Okay, you ready? Yeah. I, I can't do it at full volume because we'll just uh, you know we don't have the software to handle that. So I'll just go, Birdie. 
no, 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 no. Who's there? <laughs> it's not from Bertie. All right, oh, that's my on. number two. <laughs> All right, so Kelly Wand's number three is the end of Birdie. Dingus, what do you got to top that? I'm glad I don't have to go after Kelly Wand. You never do. I know. I'm the last to go. Can you say that in Sean Connery's voice? But not the one with uh, Forrest Whitaker, Clint Eastwood made about the jazz guy, the other Birdie, about the white men. Ah, very good. Good Good that you specify that, yeah. That's the Birdie. Wait, what's the golf Kevin Costner movie? Tin Cup. Ah. All right, Dingus, what do you got for number three? Before keep, don't let Kelly Wan keep running on roughshod. No telling what he'll say. We'll get some inappropriate yeah. comment about Ellen Page again. Tin Cup will be the most appropriate <laughs> by the end of this. All right, uh, Tom playing MP3s makes me not want to do quotes now. No, come on, you have yeah. to. Yeah, I agree with Dingus. That kind of ruined it. Like, now well, we're I... the two dumb shits. <laughs> Oh look! Here's how funny it was when they did it. Like, but you know what, you guys, you're, you're going to enjoy all of these. These are going to. You did are, this on purpose. I told you guys before we were taping. So this is just this is for the enjoyment of everyone. Dingus, you're perfectly capable of doing good line readings. Kelly Wand, you're doing a heck of a job. Hmm. I see what you're saying there. <laughs> I'm not going to do a line reading from number three because because you guys won't get it. I don't know if you guys have even seen this movie. Oh, it's, it's, it's from Tangled. He's doing something from Tangled again. No, it's all right. Transformers what's, had only three funny parts. <laughs> Go ahead, Dingus. What's the line from Tangled? It's not from Tangled. Nice try, though. It's not. Uh, it's not an animated film. It's a film from 1971 called Bananas, uh, directed by Woody Allen. Mm. And um, there's, uh, did you just what? There's there's uh, much I really love uh, in remembering this film and then rewatching it. Boy, a lot of it is really cringeworthy. <laughs> like what? My, no, when you say that, like what? Because that's how I feel about early Woody Allen that it would be so cringeworthy. Like what? What do you feel is cringeworthy? Uh, there's a love scene he has early in the film, and 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 he's obviously awkward. Uh, with the woman and she goes into the bathroom and he has all this goofy stuff with the window and then he sprays some deodorant on himself and then he puts talcum powder on himself and he puts it all over himself and the room just basically fills with talcum powder in the air and then he lies down on the bed covered in talcum powder and and she comes out it's just awkward there are those moments that are over the top physical bits that are that don't really that aren't funny and don't really work so but what uh, does work? What what does still hold up? Well, the the three things that I that I thought as as candidates for this all work. Uh, the one I the one I'm going to go ahead and pick is this. There's this great moment at the end of Bananas where his character Fielding Mellish has been put on trial for being a subversive, basically, and um, and the United States is is uh, trying to convict him uh, of being a subversive and in, in knocking down the government of the United States from without and within. And the moment is when he uh, when he has to put himself on the stand and question himself. And so he's his own counsel. So he stands outside the witness box and he starts to question himself. And then he'll ask himself a question and run <laughs> in this frenetic super fast into the witness stand and smooth his hair down and then answer the question and run back out and ask himself another question, then run back in and, and answer the question. And this, the, the timing of that 
in addition to the quick cut to the judge who says that's enough uh, before the judge says he's going to have him bound and gagged and then a, a shot over to the jury who are all smoking a, a joint. Uh, all of that is, is, is just perfect comic timing. You know, Dingus, you're breaking down my resistance already, just thinking of that. So, good. Uh, you jerk. I like the judge's line. Is that <laughs> what he's talking about? Just the whole scene. Just, Dingus describing Woody Allen doing that. Like, I do think of him just mugging with stuff like that talcum powder. But that what Dingus is describing, even though I don't remember anything from Bananas, I haven't seen it in forever. Like, that makes me want to see that again, hearing Dingus describe that. Nice work, Dingus. So what, you mentioned three things. Are you talking about those three elements of that scene? No, there are two other scenes that I really love that, that still work, too. What, what, mention them. What are they? Uh, there's, there's a moment where um, the rebel, uh, the leader of the rebels uh, uh, is now the leader of the country. And uh, he goes to address the country for the first time. And his speech to the country, in his, you know, it, it becomes clear that he is now drunk with power. And and he and he starts by saying the official language of San Marcos is not Spanish. <laughs> Silence. And nobody has said anything. And he does this absurd speech about that. You know, about all all everybody has to change their underwear every thirty minutes, and you must wear your underwear on the outside so we can check. That's hilarious. And then there's a moment with this ridiculous translator when when Fielding Mellish, as the new president of San Marcos, comes back to the United States. And so he has this translator that he must talk to his his contact in the United States with. But the translator just says things in English, but in an accent. So he's, you know, welcome to United States. Welcome to United States. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and then he ends up being chased by these guys with a butterfly net. It's just mm. these really ridiculous, goofy moments. I get that. Is Bananas like the early Woody Allen you think that holds up best? Like, what made you pick that? Um, that It's that moment in the that courtroom scene. Uh, it, it looms large for me because I, I did a, a version of that in one of my classes for a presentation about Hamlet. Um, and uh, and we used to watch Bananas over and over again. Now, you know, I thought about Take the Money and Run. I thought about Sleeper, all, all of which were edited by the same guy, by the way. And I wanted to talk about editors as I get into my other two because – one of the things that I was kind of thinking about and is is sort of contrary to how Bad Teacher didn't work is how well a director and editor can work together to right. uh, let a scene flow and understand comic timing. So it's not just what the actors are doing, but it's how the reactions of others and other elements of the scene are cut together. And you kind of mentioned this a little bit when you were talking about Superbad. Um, so there, there are elements of those other films that I really liked, but Bananas is the one that I just hold dear to my heart. It's that those early Woody Allens that have a lot of silly, cringeworthy moments, but that still are dear to my heart. That's actually a very important point. You're so right. Is the comedic timing, you know, in a stage play or stand-up comedy, it's all the the actor. But yeah, comedic time, timing, the the director and the editor have such a huge hand in that, and whether or not it works. So yeah. And even Ding, even Dingus, uh, even Kelly Wan's thing about Birdie. I, I mean, you, you know, it's, I, I think that's a great moment. It's a famous moment, and that's so much Alan Parker's doing there. I mean, it, you know, that's. What do you mean, even Kelly Wand? <laughs> By I the mean, way, uh, I mean, especially Kelly Wand. My you, favorite. When you think of how the car wash scene was edited and directed in Bad Teacher, I mean, I hate to kick that movie while it's down, but I was. I'm. I'm annoyed by how you don't make that work, how you right. can't even make it – you can't make it sexy or funny. And well, the thing is, um, you have those things going. It's like that Zitty kid watching it. 
<laughs> Dig it. So it's Jake Kasdan. You know, the guy's never done a movie before, as far as I know. He wouldn't know any better. You know, how would you ever expect that he would know how to do good editing with comedic timing? It's not like he'd ever done anything like that in zero effect. That's an excellent point, Tom. I didn't think about that. <laughs> that He's now uh, Larry Kubrick. Oh, ouch. By the way, by the way, don't spoil my list, Kelly Wand. Oh, uh, my favorite early Woody Allen is Zelig. I see what you did there. I'm not falling for it. The- uh, all right. My number three. You guys ready for this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. My number three is I'm going to declare this right now because I've been thinking about this and I think I'm going to do this. I think this is the best. Uh, this is the all time great. I don't know what to, what to say about all time because who knows what's coming up. But this is the best pure comedy ever created. Not just. You know, some movies are like like Wes Anderson movies can be funny, but I, I, they transcend sort of being pure comedies. Some great like Kubrick stuff, like black comedies are, are, are a little bit different. Something like Bad Santa has its own little twist. But as far as just being a pure comedy, I'm going to right now declare this the best pure comedy ever made. And it's not just this line. There's so many things in this movie, but I'm going to play for you one line from it that exemplifies what well, that, that, that will lead me to sort of explain why I think this is the best pure comedy ever made. So here you go. Uh, here is from my number two. Liam and me, we're going to fuck you up. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. <laughs> I, I love how laconic and removed Jeff Bridges is in, in Big Lebowski. Like so much of the comedy in Big Lebowski is him having – uh, a, a sense of timing that is so completely off with everyone else in the movie. Uh, and and the, the delivery of that line, well, man, that's just like your opinion. That's just a perfect example of it. He is on his own clock. He's sort of marching according to his own drum in that movie. Uh, and I, I love that about uh, the timing in Big Lebowski. Um, he has a beverage there, man. That's that's the other one I thought of is when he's in the uh, is that with Philip Seymour Hoffman? I forget who's in the limo. I th- actually, I think it's the the other Lebowski in the limo with him or. Yeah, he's like the hey, man, there's a beverage here. And when and and that's part of what's beautiful, too, about when uh, not Sam, Sam Elliott shows up is he kind of matches. You know, here's the one guy in the movie who matches his timing and his, his weird uh, the, the way he speaks, his weird pacing. Uh, but I don't know. Could you would you would either of you dispute if I were to call that? If I were to say one of the all-time great comedies, you you wouldn't disagree with that. But what if I went ahead and got all hyperbole on your butts and said it's the greatest pure comedy ever created? Hmm. You haven't seen Zapped yet. Good point. You got me there, Kelly. Or Passion of the Christ. Well, the thing is, you tend to distrust anybody who says a statement like the best pure comedy ever created. Name a better one. I'll, I'll throw that at you. I'm not going to do that because <laughs> whenever I've ever said such and such is my favorite movie, you say, I distrust people who say that. That's And that's an impression of you I just did. That me. is how he talks. But I am narrowing it down, like pure comedies, just as far as a straight-up comedy. I don't, I don't know. You know what? I was just thinking about this. I was trying to figure out which line to choose from Big Lebowski. There are just so many great ones. Uh, and I was like, pound for pound, is there a better just straight-up comedy? I can't think of one. I'm, I'm open to there being an one but I don't larry know. crown is a pure dramedy 100%. i haven't you know what that's a good point kelly wand i haven't seen it yet so fair point i always uh, thought you liked raising arizona so much better than that movie tom raising arizona is minor cohen brothers Ooh, wow 
<laughs> what about uh, Outrageous Fortune? Or no, the Clooney, uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah, Unfortunately did. for me, it's intolerable me, cruelty. It took me a couple of viewings to start to understand why Big Lebowski is so great. So it's hard for me to sign on for the best pure comedy ever created. Because you don't smoke and weed. Because I don't. Or smoke listen weed. to whale songs. Or like Coen Brothers. <laughs> or drink white Russian. Or drink right. Or we're well, born in the nineties. Well, right. Or believe that, in Jesus. Right. Even even the scene where the well, that's just like your opinion, man. Visually, it's it's just Jeff. First of all, the guy playing Liam, who's standing behind uh, John Turturro, uh, is such a perfect bit of casting. I don't think the guy even has a line, but he's John Turturro's bowling partner. That guy is just awesome to look at. He's fantastic. So anytime the camera's on John Turturro in that scene, that right there, straight up funny. But when you come back, when you do the reverse shot, and it's Jeff Bridges just sprawled out in one of those bowling seats, and he's got his hands behind his head. So that on either side of his head, his his arm is making a little triangle, and uh, John Goodman is sitting next to him. When he delivers that line, the shot is perfectly framed with Steve Buscemi peering through one of the triangles that is formed mm-hmm. by Jeff Bridges' arm. And I didn't notice that until I was setting up the, uh, the the YouTube video, and I was like, that is just that's just so perfect. <laughs> Somebody actually used that particular shot as their example of best expressions for all three. <laughs> that is beautiful. Uh, but you know what? Oh, your use of the and your 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 uh, that that thing with the the um, with Ben Gazzara and the pad of paper yes. is an is another yeah. So you're starting to win me over. So, you know, and, and you're absolutely right, Dig. It's like that is something I would normally mistrust. But just thinking about it tonight, looking for lines, I was like, is there a better pure comedy? Because I can think of better moments, my number one, for instance, but they come from things that I don't think are just flat out straight like comedies where there's there's something more going on. Uh, and if you just look at it, at it as just a comedy, you know, I, I, I think Big Lebowski is a great big goof. It doesn't have any of the weight of of the the I think better or more important capital M capital I more important Coen Brothers movies, uh, but as a pure comedy, I just I can't think of anything that outdoes Big Lebowski. So that's just me. That's that's my hyperbole for the evening. After that, I'll back off from the hyperbole. Hangover Two made more money, so it's fun. God Kelly Wand. <laughs> oh, oh, it's a dollar a laugh. That's the math. <laughs> You're a terrible person, Kelly Wand. Mm, well, All right. seems to be the consensus, yes. Well, now that you've destroyed... Oh, actually, uh, yeah, oh, now it's your turn, Kelly Wand. So now oh. that you've uh, revealed what a mustache-twirling villain you are, what do you have I'm actually just going to put in Hangover Part 2 as your number two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's the line, the timing in the line, when a monkey nibbles a penis, it's funny in any language. Okay, done. No, my real number two is when he goes, is this a P.F. Changs when they go to the monastery? <laughs> God. Oh, man, I couldn't Kelly find Wand. it on YouTube. It was uh, taken down because it crashed the servers. Man, you're brutal tonight. You're way worse than Kevin Bacon. Mm. <laughs> that is the say? best pure anti-comedy ever created. <laughs> All right, Kelly, Wand, what's your what's your number two for real, so that we don't put you down for Hangover Two? Uh, in Dog Day Afternoon, when um Al Pacino asks. John Cazale, what country they want to go to, and he goes, Wyoming. And he goes, Wyoming? That's not a country. He, he does correct... I don't remember the specific moment, but I love the two characters. He does correct him? Yeah, but 
it was ad libbed, so that's what makes it funny to me. Because I, I, I knew the second I saw it, I go, he, they wouldn't have written a line that awesome. And then I found out that I never believe. By the way, I never believe those stories about things being ad libbed. No, nah, but you can see it in Al Pacino's face. He's all, "What the fuck is he saying Wyoming for?" <laughs> so, what's the apocryphal story? So that John Cazale ad libbed the Wyoming line? Yeah. You're saying he's not capable of that? Why do you hate actors? I only hate John Cazale because he's dead. He can't do anything about it. What's Fargo is a funnier comedy than Big Lebowski. I would disagree. I, I'm not even sure I'd call Fargo a pure comedy. Like, I don't know that it's like Fargo it is gets to me. I mean, don't you Fargo think Fargo is actually ad libbed? I think <laughs> it's, it's a, real good. Then it's all improv. Mm. Uh, wait, no, they never improv. Coen Brothers never improv. But Kel- uh, Kelly Wan, what movie is this from? I wish I could have seen Wyoming. Twenty twelve. Is that the last line of John Cusack's book? I'm not it's falling for this. Close. It's from Crimson Tide. Wait, do it again. I wish I could have seen Wyoming. 2012? It's uh, it's Sam Neill. John Cusack's book. Oh. Sam Neill and Crimson Tide. He's not in that. Not falling for this. <laughs> Wait, Sam Neill's in Dead Tides. Dead Calm Tides. Calm Tides. No, you can normally troll Dingus by attributing something from Hunt for Red October to, to Crimson Tide. He normally will fall for that. I don't I don't know what ha- – it must be the 2D glasses that Will sent us uh, that, are, that are protecting him from my attempt. Damn. Thanks, thanks nice work. Why? You foiled us. Hold on. I'm going to take them off for a second. It was Montana. All right. I'm putting them in. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I, I wasn't. I. That's very good because Dingus, I in earnest wasn't sure about the country. I knew it was one of those square flat ones up there, but uh, very good. So that I was actually trolling and it was Hunt for Red October, right? Uh, I don't know. Don't mm-hmm. make me Google this. Anyway, I was trolling about the movie. Wait a minute. Remember when you trolled Dingus when you told him uh, everyone said the return of the king, people were laughing at the dialogue? <laughs> well, that's going to be my favorite three by threes. Times I trolled – one of my three by threes is times I trolled Dingus. Yeah. How could you narrow it to three? <laughs> Dingus, how do you spell Why? Tom, Tron? Uh, I got right. in trouble uh, with Steve mm-hmm. Bauman once for only spelling Wookiee with one E in a Star Wars game review. Well, I hope you spelled Kashik correctly. That's all I have to say. Dingus, what is your number two favorite instance of, of comedic timing? Like Tom. Right, I think there's enough space between the last uh, comedic MP3 you've played and now, so I'm going to go ahead and give you guys a quote. Awesome. Actually, I'm going to give you dialogue. Sweet. I'm going to do the call and response. Sweet. Dialogue. So we're, we're a whole performance here. So, all right, Dingus, when you're, whenever you're, as they say in auditions, whenever you're ready. You're doing the litmus configuration? Litmus configuration. See, did he this. flub it? Or was that... <laughs> I, don't know. I don't even yeah. know. It might even still be going, because I didn't know if there was like a pause at the your end. Butt, your butthole? <laughs> you a Kristen Wiig? I don't think it's from MacGruber. I'm pretty sure, knowing Dingus, it's not from MacGruber. Uh, Dingus, so what happened there? Were you doing the actual lines? Like, was that an actual recreation of a flub, or was that an actual flub? That was a recreation of a flub. Uh, but it's not a flub. It's just the way he does the line. Uh, and it's from a 1988 film that both of you know, because I've talked about it many times, called Midnight Run. Uh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wan, that's rude. This again. <laughs> I know. It's directed by Martin Brest. Um, it was edited by 
three guys, which I don't, I would really, now that I see that, I need to look into how that happens. Because usually I think of films as having one editor and a lot of people in the editor. Oh, I thought you were going to say, it seems like three women would have edited. And uh, the three guys are, there. there's Chris Lebenzon and Michael Tronick, and both those guys worked on a film called Hudson Hawk, as well as this film. And then it was also edited by a guy named Billy Weber, who edited such films as Tree of Life, <laughs> Days of Heaven, and uh, The Thin Red Line. So those three people worked on Midnight Run. <laughs> and the uh, the scene in particular, the the comic timing is is when the when uh, Charles Grodin and Robert De Niro go into this bar um, in the middle of nowhere, and they have to get money. And uh, the way they do it is Charles Grodin pretends to be an FBI agent, and they pretend to be figuring out whether the $20 bills are counterfeit or not. And uh, so Charles Grodin t- instructs Robert De Niro, who is the bounty hunter who is in charge of Charles Grodin, to go behind the counter and take these $20 bills out and do something called the litmus configuration. And Robert De Niro just <laughs> has to create the litmus configuration. And so Grodin says, are you doing the litmus configuration? And, and De Niro, while he's like, he's erasing something on the $20 bill and then licking it says, yeah, litmus configuration. Um, and the, and the editing is so great because it shows the guy who's the, the bar and it shows Charles Grodin who does these great, it, it's, it's this, it's this wonderful setup of Charles Grodin knowing exactly how long to pause, De Niro knowing exactly how to react, and the editor and director knowing exactly how much to show of the reactions of the other people in the bar. And, and Charles Grodin has this thing that he's doing with this guy who's this bar patron who's probably just an extra where he just has an interchange with the guy and they just show enough of each of those little bits of the pauses of the reactions and of the of the bit players to make the whole thing flow perfectly it's just great comic timing and it just it's one of those moments and i i you know unfortunately for me litmus configuration is not something that really comes up in conversation so it's not a quote i can use um (laughs) but it's one of my favorite movie quotes just because of how that scene works comically so, Dingus, would you agree with the statement that Robert De Niro isn't inherently funny? He's just really good and really committed, and doing that, uh, like that in a well-written movie, can work as funny. Like, I, I don't think of Robert De Niro as being really funny, but when you describe these scenes... He's funny guess, in Showtime with Eddie Murphy. You see that? Well, you know, I think of, uh, of uh, King of Comedy, where the joke is that he's not funny. But that's the character. Right, that's what I'm saying. Is that I don't like. Has he done? You know, See, you know? he's he's a he's a different character in the movie. Dingus is describing. It's the same actor, Robert De Niro, playing someone who's funny. Uh, <laughs> I would actually argue that I think a lot of actors would say that that's true of all comedy. That that um, you just have to believe what you're doing and do it straight. And if if it's funny, it's funny. I mean, if the, the key here is what you said about the writing and he's, I don't think that he's inherently funny. He's often so serious about himself. Right. Right. But, but if he it bends, it works it's funny. here. Well, it works here and he's not, because he's not trying to be funny. And I don't think Grodin is trying to be funny either. I just think that it works because of the way the writing works and the way it's put together. Now doesn't uh, Grodin, and I really need to see this again, but doesn't Grodin those have this sort of like dry humor about him? Yeah, they're trying to be funny. I don't know what you guys are talking about. I think you're he both does high. have a 
he does have a dry humor about him, but it's based in his timing and it's not, yeah, yeah. it's not trying to be funny because what you think about, and this is, this is part of why, uh, uh, why Midnight Run and why his performance works so well for me is that you, you realize that, uh, Robin Williams could have played that part. He was very, very close to playing that part. Wow. Ooh, yeah. wait, and, who is Groden? Yeah. Yeah, the Groden part. It was it was down to the two of them and they went through audition after audition and, and Groden talks about this in his in his first uh, autobiography. It'd be so nice if you weren't here. He talks about that 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 process of of auditioning and Robin Williams could have ended up in that part. And so think about what Groden is doing, which is very different as far as trying to be funny or just being deadpan to what Robin Williams would have done. Right, right. He's funny in Ishtar too, where he's not trying to be funny. I know you yeah, get quiet right about. That. Yeah, you know, I'm, like, I'm an Ishtar apologist. Kelly, one, what in what movie do you think Paul Walker is funniest? Um, Jumper. Oh, you're that's terrible. That's the meanest thing you've said all night. Wow. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna do, so my number one. Uh, I'm going to do so this is a it's going to be a little long but I think it's worth it because I think what's great about this there's there's several moments I could have picked from this movie uh the one I originally was going to pick I didn't pick and I'll tell you why afterwards so I picked this one because it's it's the, this guy is funny whatever he's trying to do and it's just when I was thinking about Robert De Niro he can be funny but this guy when he's trying to be funny, it doesn't look like he's trying to be funny. I mean, except like this guy is such a perfect example of how to be funny without being funny. I don't know. It's just like the 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 inscrutability of comedy, you know, the the ineffable mm-hmm. nature of comedy. This guy personifies it. And so I'm going to play a little clip. It also highlights how a good actor can pretend to be on the telephone. Doing a telephone conversation is a tough thing for an actor to do. This right here is an example of a flawless attempt at a telephone conversation. So here we go. Here's my number one. Hello? Uh, hello, De- hello, Dimitri. Listen, I-, I can't hear too well. Do you suppose you could turn the music down just a little? Oh, oh that's much better. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then... Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. <laughs> I agree with you. It's great to be fine. <laughs> now then, Dimitri, you know how we've always talked about the possibility of something going wrong with the bomb. <laughs> the bomb, Dimitri. The hydrogen bomb. Well, now, what happened is um, one of our base commanders, he had a sort of, well, he went a little funny in the head. You know, just a little funny. And uh, he went and did a silly thing. Well, I'll tell you what he did. He ordered his planes to attack your country. Uh, Well, let me finish, Dimitri. Let me finish, Dimitri. Well, listen, how do you think I feel about it? But I just... 
just Peter Sellers and Doctor Strange love it. It's it, all of the parts, but certainly as President, I think his name is like Mufflin, Muff, like Mervin Mufflin or something like that. Uh, I just, God, I just, I just love watching Peter Sellers at, at work, and especially oh. in Doctor Strange Love. Uh, the one I wanted to play was uh, Keenan Wynn's uh, thing about okay, if you don't get the president on that phone, you're going to have to answer to the Coca-Cola company because that's a great exchange too. But what I'd forgotten is that he then shoots the Coca-Cola machine and he stoops down to get the change that's spilling out and Coca-Cola shoots in his face. <laughs> it's like something from a sitcom or something. And I'm not crazy. I mean, that that's okay. That ruins it for you. It, it kind of makes it a little obvious. <laughs> that's too trauma. That's too over the top. Um, for Kubrick. But so that's my number one bit with comedic timing. And the way you look at the editing, the way it's shot, because it's in the war room and there's all these very, very important people also listening on the phone watching this conversation. And the way it occasionally cuts to them and George C. Scott furiously chewing gum. Uh, I, I just love that, that scene. And I love basically the fact that it is uh, – it's just – a straight like five minutes of, of dialogue uh, from Dr. Strangelove. Uh, you know, just that phone conversation goes on for a while. So there you go. There's my number one choice for uh, Peter Sellers, character. though. It's like there's just so many different things you can pick from him. I know. I know. Yeah. Uh, like tons of physical comedy where he's not saying anything even. Well, you know what? So do the uh, so when I when I talk about like the Woody Allen things, like do the do the Pink Panther movies hold up? Fuck Yeah. And especially no. if you watch the Steve Martin one, no. I remember the. I remember really digging the uh, fourth one where uh, the bad guy's his boss and he's got the Doomsday Machine and they make the football players nude. It's like the same plot as the nude bomb. <laughs> you remember that one? See, I think one. I think of all that as being more Blake Edwards than Peter Sellers, and I don't know. I mean, I should give it a, a shot, but I just, I, I just can't. Don't, I mean, don't give it a shot. If you have any good memories of those films, just live with them. <laughs> I have a lot of them, but they're all misplaced. <laughs> well, no, I'm just, I'm talking specifically to Tom, who's wondering maybe I should go back to them because I just did that. I think last Which year. Which did you it, watch? It was another one of the uh, film club picks. I think it was Return of the Pink Panther, mm. and it's just all gags. It, it's uh, basically unsupported gags, and none of them are funny. Um. I mean, I remember as a kid watching my dad laugh at like yeah. at some of that stuff and laughing because he was laughing. And when you go back and watch it, it's just you know when I you know the things I found cringeworthy about bananas are 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 gags that are that just don't have much support. And and the Pink Panther, I you know at least the ones I've seen recently are a lot of that unsupported gag stuff. I always liked in those Blake Edwards though movies, they don't. It's like people really get fucking slammed around in them a lot. <laughs> like it's bone crunching comedy. <laughs> they could do but that. People back get then. really fucked up. Yeah, it's just like and those fights with Cato. That's. I mean, I, those are gags, but. Well, I it's also the the uh, choreography. The little yellow friend stuff right now. It's just really. Uh, it's a time capsule. No, oh, no, no. It's not. <laughs> Come on. I mean, I'm sorry. We should be saying Mickey Rooney's a racial car caricature in uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. And you can say whatever you. That's so 2010. Uh, but that that doesn't mean that now we don't cringe, and that takes away when he's talking about it. Almost blew his little yellow skin off. A cringe I mean, is a laugh that's silent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. 
Man, yeah, that's... Well, that's, if only we had the NBC, um, the more you know sound effect, right? I, Dingus, I think he just trumped anything you could possibly say. I think he just shut you down. I, I'm sorry to tell you this, but that was huge. <laughs> I refuse to deprive myself of all the funny shit in those Pink Panther movies because of some racism. Just, no, you don't have to. I'm just saying that's an element of it that's annoying. <laughs> and and it, wh- whether or not that makes you laugh, it doesn't make any sense, Tom. But it's that character saying it. Well, no, he's a dumbass Frenchman. Like, it's not racist. He's dumb. I'm being facetious about Kelly Wan's fortune cookie pronouncement. I just Uh, lost that. (laughs) I'm a wise man. (laughs) Wait, was that racist to me, by the way? No, that was uh, that was me as a human centipede. It's not racist. It's racialist. What's wrong with being sexy? so, okay, let's go over now to uh, Kelly Wan's number one pick for in, an instance of comedic timing. Kelly Wan, are you going to do a line for us? Yeah. Um, yeah, all right. I'm just going to say a line here and just talk and uh, just drop fucking dead. And then the bus hits her. Remember that? that was final, final Destination? Yeah. <laughs> See? Because that's not even a funny... It's like Amanda Detmer. Is that her name? I, I, I two movies. Let's see, I could name Brecken Meyer. Isn't, wasn't he the dude in Final Destination? The no, it was right? the Idle Hands guy. It's uh, Devin Sawa, I think. Oh, my God, you're right. Well, okay, in that case, I'm going with Tony Todd. I knew I could get at least one actor out of Final Destination. So, But that was before, again, so sort of kind of like ding, Dingus, like, like in somebody might say, oh, that's not funny, that's played out. But kind of like you would say, Kelly Wand, about It's played out because of that scene. <laughs> Right, but that was before that kind this of thing was... This was the Godfather, right. Exactly. That was In fact, before, I would say... Well, go on. Well, that was before that, that trope was played out, where a character's in a fairly narrow frame where they're being shot, and then a car or something rushes from off the frame, right. and, a, and there's a CG shot, a CG shot of the character getting hit. Like, yes. I think that was in, like, Meet Joe Black, maybe before Final Destination, but all that stuff... never now. as funny as it was in that. And, me, and the thing, it's perfectly orchestrated in Final Destination, because that character's not even doing shit till that line, and, like, there's, like, a near miss right before that, and there's, like, right. this thing at the coffee shop, and uh, Sean William Scott almost gets hit, and so they get in this fucking argument, like, oh, no, you're... you're a pr-. They're arguing about whether it's real or not. Sean and, William Scott is in the final destination. That's right. I can't yeah, believe I forgot that. Top of his head chopped off. And so it's like, in my memory, I, I hear the bus honk a horn. Cause that to me is, would be even funnier. Like it's honking pretty <laughs> out of the way. And it, it annoys me. It's like, I like it and hate it at the same time. Cause it's like, it's so impossible that she wouldn't see the bus or hear it. And right. The bus would try. It's like, an, it's like only would only work in a movie, but that entire franchise exists, in my opinion, because of that one shot. Like, every million dollars the Final Destination movies have made is because from that. Like, they had to add a whole scene after that of him putting Alka-Seltzer in a mug because it's like the test audiences were like, dude, fucking bus. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> yeah. They had to, it, so if you watch, like, just, it totally slows down after that scene for like five minutes. Like, nothing happens. Devin Summer just walks around. It's like the second unit shit. I'm just going, oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, I was really sleeping in this scene. I was really tired that day. They had to add it because it's like Amanda Detmer's. Uh, it's just such a good line. It was so perfect timing. I love it. It's best use of CG. Can I redo that list now? So Kelly Wand, help me out here. What's the difference between Devin Sawa and Brecken Meyer? Uh, Brecken Meyer, we only want to kill in real life, but Devin Sawa. <laughs> Okay. And also uh, in those movies, his character you find out in the second one gets killed by a brick. 
So it's like all the all the pudding deviled ham uh, protections he takes in the first movie. Like forgot to watch the brick. Uh, I've I went ahead and I couldn't resist, but I went ahead and watched the trailer for is it Final Destination Five that they're up to? And I don't see anything in there that, that like it looks like the big set piece is a bridge collapsing. Which oh uh, really? Did they stole that from Mothman. Oh, that's right. Very good, Kelly Wan. Very good. But a, a bridge collapsing. Like I think everybody understands like the big highway wreck or the roller coaster one. The highway. That's what they're gonna. That's the thing is a bridge. And it's a yeah, it's a bridge collapsing. Yeah, they're just doing cars again. That's I know. And, and cars twice actually. So and then the really scary like you know sucking your breath with your uh, with your teeth together like ee! like that whole moment is someone getting LASIK surgery where the laser turns too oh, hot good. or something. Uh, uh, that's- I like that. That sounds. It good. seemed a little cheesy. I don't know. Like no, the that's idea what they is, haven't done. Like that's a freaky. Like uh, you know what? No, no, no. Because it's just it's, re. It's reusing the dentist one from two, three, whichever one yeah, of them had but, a scary dentist bit. Now uh, those are separate because lasers in the eyes is way scarier. Which would you rather die from? You know what? I think it's the same thing because it's you're you're down in a chair during a medical <laughs> procedure with with your, a vulnerable part of your body being poked. I, I think it plays on the same thing. I don't see a difference between playing on LASIK fear and playing on dental fear. I think it's just but reusing the, stuff. Just like reusing the freeway for the bridge, I think yeah. using LASIK is reusing the dental gag. Oh, well, yeah, it is a medical procedure. Like, yeah, so I'm, I'm just saying. the tanning beds? That was kind of fun. Tanning beds was good, and that was the lovely Shalan Simmons from Chupacabra Terror. That was a great one. That was a great yeah. twist, and they, I think they're out of ideas. I'm officially saying right here, based on the trailer, Final Destination movies are out of ideas. I'm done They've been out it. of ideas since, the, you know, it's like the first one was so awesome because they actually act like those people die. And they're really bummed about like, fuck, people are getting killed. And then in the sequels, they go, all right, people already know the plot. So we can just skip all those grief scenes. So it's like people <laughs> just keep getting killed in the fourth one. They're like, oh, yeah, Billy and his fucking pool. Like people die in front of like like the kid dies in the pool and there's like 90 other people in the pool. But it just doesn't show them in the shot. I guess what I'm praising in the bus scene, it's like like now no one notices like right. things are so rigged. Dingus, what do you have to say about these? Um, would you rather have sex with your grandmother or a dead body? <laughs> uh, I'm not even going to say the response to that because it actually there was a response in Super to that line. Uh, I was thinking about Super just now, like, oh, if that was the final destination, like the Ellen Page number came up, but not. So hold on, don't don't spoil anything. So, all right, so uh, that was. Good lord, where were we? That was my number one. <laughs> okay. Dingus, what is your number one? Give us a line that you think is uh, an example of great comedic timing in a movie. All right, here we go. I'm not going to try to do this actor's voice. I'm just going to give you the line. Do not open these envelopes before you have left the <laughs> I almost had that one. Because in honor of, you know, because the, yeah. the, the fellow's dead now. So very, very good, Dingus. Dingus, what movie have you picked? What is that from? That is from Made from 2001, directed by John Favreau. Uh, the editor for this particular movie is a guy named Curtis Clayton, who edited another movie that uh, I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's called The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. He edited Made? Get out of here. Huh. <laughs> All right, I'm leaving. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> Wait, don't, don't, don't leave the, don't forget your glasses, your 2D glasses. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I got them. You won't be able to see without them. <laughs> okay, so the the editor of Made, I don't believe that. I think I think that's one of those. That's as apocryphal as Kelly Wan's bit about uh, Dog Day Afternoon being improvised. That's right. Uh, actually, uh, Made was improvised, and so was Assassination. <laughs> <laughs> they improvised the bus scene. Litmus too. configuration. Very good. 
so it's it's this whole scene with Peter Falk, and uh, uh, you know, may he rest in peace. Um, and I think it's a, a clinic in comic timing. Um, it, you know, you watch the scene, and what's funny is Kelly said he watched it just this week. I did. Yeah. It's the best scene in the movie, and then the rest of the movie's nothing as hilarious ever happens. In a... What are you talking about? Are you serious? He, I, I'm telling you, it's the greatest scene ever. It's like exemplary comedy, like you were talking about, and then name a funnier scene in the movie after that. Like well, I don't movie. know about funnier, but I love the stuff where they're abusing poor Sam Rockwell. Uh, the scene where the the scene where he not comes in with the, with the fake... Well, I'm, I, maybe not as good. I mean, there's... None of it's, I know. You gotta build. Bridesmaids build. You don't have to build. You can yeah, have you a do. great scene early no, on. You can't have your funniest scene in the first ten minutes. That's, that's no way to run a. I don't, that's a way to run a railroad, a comedy. Show, railroad. show me where that rule is written, and I'll believe you. Well, that just me. I mean, okay, you got people in a good mood, and you're they're laughing in the first ten minutes. But then if you, it, it's I'm telling you, it affected my repeat value because I was like, oh, I remember this awesome scene, and then I thought, wait, what comes after this? Okay, yeah, the restaurant, the bar, another bar, plane, same thing as swingers, zoo. Yeah, it's not as good. All right. Well, I just think it's laying great groundwork, and the fact that you feel the rest of the movie doesn't live up to the groundwork. That scene is a 10, and there's not, a, there's not an 8 after that. Yes, there is. That What's I will disagree eight? with you. Name Sam, the, the abuse of Sam Rockwell. Uh, that's a 6. <laughs> <laughs> How about right, when he's on the six. plane, and he's, a, he's saying, I'm a tall drink of water. What, there what? you go. Yeah, you and those other stewardesses go up there and get sweetheart, like all that stuff with the stewardesses. There you go. Dingus, you know what? Dingus actually just called out a nine. That, no, that's not a nine. It's derivative of swingers when he does it with the cocktail waitress, and then that has a bigger twist because like character he going is, for it. No, his character is derivative of swingers. I mean, it's Vince Vaughn. So here, here's the thing. I'm glad you mentioned that, Dingus, because I think there's a whole. Not even letting school. him talk about his. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. Are you done, Dingus? We're ready to move. We Are have to say. About <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, I'll get around to it. Well, well, just to throw it back to Dingus, so I think there's this whole school of comedy that's like what I would call buddy banter, and there's a lot of it certainly in Big Lebowski and Made. I think of Sideways, With Nail and I, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Bridesmaids is like a, a great recent example of it, where you have two actors who are just really good with each other, and you just let them banter. Sometimes it's scripted, sometimes it's Im- improv, and I, Made is a perfect example of that, where it's, it's based so much on the timing and the chemistry between uh, the, the buddies bantering. So I'm very glad you brought up Maid. I'm watching that scene too, and I'm I, like, I was trying to, I was looking forward to watching that scene again. I'm like, does he do the envelope, or is it a spring-loaded envelope? And I think after the second viewing, it's spring-loaded. So that's he's okay. not, that's He doesn't know. He's not like a martial artist doing this fucking awesome. He's no Jackie Chan. All right. Right. So Dingus, what, what makes this number one for you? Well, the I was thinking about the envelope because you guys have talked about that money moment with the envelope before and what i'd forgotten was uh was how the how the scene is cut together and how annoyed peter falk clearly is. <laughs> yeah he's and not how, there <laughs> and how annoyed john favreau is as well which works for his character and works works for all of them i mean that that they could cut together the scene with with what we know of how difficult that scene was probably to do because Vince Vaughn was being such a goofball uh, is phenomenal. And, and the moment after Peter or while Peter Falk is saying, do not open these envelopes, Vince Vaughn is ripping the envelope and just freezes. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes for the tape and then he says, Oh, can I borrow the tape after he's already, <laughs> yeah. all of that stuff is so great. And it's shot from around, it's shot from Peter Falk's place. So it's, it's obviously more than one setup. And 
the other moment that I really like in that scene is this classic take that you get that often doesn't work and is sort of a theatrical theatrical convention and, and that's where Peter Falk is telling them about their pagers and they're, they're going to be on call and that means you can't get drunk and then the shot is from him to them and John Favreau looks <laughs> and then there's a bit there's a beat uh-huh. and Vince Vaughn notices he's looking and then looks over at him mm-hmm. and it's that theatrical look yeah. look and Tom's exactly right about that buddy that chemistry thing and that timing of that look is perfect and that it's from another perspective it's clear that they've shot this scene over and over again and they edited it together beautifully the outtakes on the dvd are priceless from that scene. Uh, it's, it's i have it wait now i need to watch it good oh are you serious you have it because there's a lot where have it, yeah. it's so clear how john favreau is absolutely losing patience with Vince. oh yeah, i can't wait okay cool i'm totally glad i have it now and, and then there's a point, too, where it's funny, where, where John Favreau cracks at one point, and Vince Vaughn, like, uses it as, as a way to sort of buy himself. He's like, Fav, quit fucking up. Like, he's, yeah. he calls out Favreau for messing up when he's been the one who's been screwing everyone. Right. Like it, it's just a, it's great to watch the dynamics between the two of them in, in that, those outtakes. Does he call and, him Fav? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. That's I mean, they, they're, they're so good together. Uh, and, you know, couples therapy. All you got to do is watch that movie to see how great they are with each other. He didn't direct that, though. <laughs> no, don't see, do not see Couples th- or Couples Retreat. Couples Retreat. No, don't. I was being entirely facetious. Please don't watch Couples Retreat and then email me and say, what? Uh, yeah, don't. Uh, God, yeah. <laughs> you know, somebody heard this, and they're going to make a sequel called Cu- Couples Therapy now. Thank you, Tom. Couples <laughs> Therapy. Uh, all right, so were there any runners-up? Because I, I don't have any. I just had Superbad. That Superbad punching moment, uh, I just love that. I had the money envelope scene in Made. I don't know if you guys remember it. <laughs> Let's talk about that. <laughs> and also, uh, Jeff Goldblum in the deleted scenes of the fly making this monkey cat and then beating it with a pipe and then pulling a fly leg out of his abdomen and screaming, no, 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 at the skyline on the roof. I like that part. That's pretty funny. <laughs> and that's in the deleted scenes. All right. So good. Take that deleted scene, Tom <laughs> referencer. All right. Are you guys ready for next week's 3 by 3 I think you might hate this. I'm glad Dingus brought up editors because here's what I'm trying to do. So one of the credits, like we – I think we are at the point now where sometimes we'll notice a cinematographer maybe. Like we know directors. We know writers. And there are times we'll pay attention to a cinematographer. I was very glad to hear Dingus name some editors. So what I want us to look at next week are – it's another role on a movie that I think is rarely recognized. We have maybe occasionally talked about it. But I'm gonna, this is going to require you going to IMDb. What I want from you are three great instances or three great examples of production design. Now, production design is a fairly wonky term. It's basically the person in charge of the location and dressing it with props and items so that the physical space that a movie takes place in is called the production design. So what I want you to do is come up with three movies that have good production design, look up who did it, and like Dingus did with editors, I'd like to know some other movies they've done. Now, I'm putting one caveat down here. So this is three great, inst- three great examples of production design in parentheses that aren't sci-fi or fantasy. <laughs> All right, I just have to cross off. That one. Well, Star Wars <laughs> is sci-fi fantasy, all one word, so I know those are <laughs> Tom Cena. And also, uh, Tom, can you guess run. what I what I wrote down immediately? Empire? 
No, what about science not fact? Any of those movies. Well, Empire does have great production design. I mean, that's one of the things that makes it, I think, one of the best Star Wars movies. It's like the stuff on Hoth, the Bespin stuff. Like, I think, I think there's. Ah ha ha! Shut up! Did you, did I just Never get trolled? Uh, so no, what what did you write down, Ding? It's like were you thinking of like Lord? Because that's the thing is is fantasy and sci-fi kind of has an unfair advantage in that the production design is going to invariably be something like flashy and it grabs your attention. Yeah, like the Gungan City. This is the opposite of that. The, this would have. This was Moon. I immediately. I think of Moon immediately. Ah, right, right. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing. Is yeah, uh, great. Yeah. So, but what I want, not sci-fi or fantasy. And I, I have a specific movie in mind that actually a few years ago got me to pay attention to this. And I realized, you know, I I saw this person's name and looked up other movies. It's perfect. What about horror? Done. Uh, you know what? Horror's fine as long as it's not sci-fi or fantasy. I don't want you showing me, you know, space bases or dungeons or starships. You know, no, no stuff like that. Now, that's the thing, Kelly. One is a lot of times the production design in horror is pretty pedestrian. If you think there's a great example of a horror movie that has good production design that, that's not leaning on the trappings of fantasy and sci-fi i'd love to hear about it uh, well lady hawk's a romance more than a fantasy so oh wait hold on and also uh gotham city is new york city so <laughs> and then uh, giger 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 metropolis <laughs> is boise you can do with it as you like but i think you know what i'm getting at so again i let, let's look up some folks on imdb let's name some names uh it should be pretty straightforward right and like dingus, like dingus did with uh noting that the guy from tree of life was also made uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear if there are any cool connections like that we can make. So that's what I want from you next week. Three great examples of production design that aren't sci-fi or fantasy. And if you can be bothered, go ahead and look up names for us and let us know if there's anything cool that that person has done besides that. So there we go. We will also be seeing – is it Horrible Bosses? Yeah, Horrible Bosses. Hmm. Now, what what do we think? Like I don't uh, – I'm interested based on the cast. Is it a – is it a director we know of? It Is taps that... into our uh, unenthusiasm for working for Colin Farrell. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole reason I want to see this, because I like that guy. Uh, and I seem to recall the other two horrible bosses were into Aniston? Oh, we'll find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jennifer Aniston. It's like the, 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 she uh... would be a horrible boss, wouldn't she? Well, you know what? So here's the thing is I've been fascinated at her lack of chemistry with actors on screen. I, let's see if she's playing a villain now. Let's see how that works out. Oh, and then and then the other one is swimming with sharks. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, right. Of course. Of course. Right. Yep. Yep. So let's see that next week. See how it turns out. Uh, and then we'll also talk production design. I am uh, Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Florzeski, I think. <laughs> There is a the F is actually silent and it's Morosky. Oh. And uh, and also Kelly Wand. Body switch movie, Jeff Goldblum and a dinosaur. Like a clone. <laughs>